kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? gentlemen and welcome to Auntie Nanny. Um, as usual, we're going to begin the show with the soft portion of the show and then after that we'll get right to the regular broadcast. Um, Alex, are you here? I'm here. Okay. <clears throat> good, good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 120-2017. How are you this week, Alex? Um... Well, a weird ending to uh, a weird week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent the day watching the uh, inauguration festivities. Oh. So oh. That, hap- that happened. <laughs> um, well, you know, that happened and, and nobody got shot. That's good. Yeah, um, it looked like there was some violent protesting going on in D.C. Um, it sounds like typically there are protests in D.C. during inaugurations, but uh, this year they managed to break windows and send a powerful message to Starbucks. Um, <laughs> so uh, good for them. Um, so, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, I spent the day doing that, but um, we've certainly had some issues flare up in the past week um and i think i might have uh brought this up on the last one uh but i got an, uh, a notice within the past couple of days uh washington state is looking at a tobacco 21 bill um this is hb 1054 okay and uh it will have a hearing on the 24th um so public hearing january 24th i believe that's tuesday um it is in the house committee on health care and wellness that is uh at 8 a.m in the morning which should make it accessible to everyone not really uh there's a little note that says subject to change um, so I'll put in a, out an announcement about this um, okay. this weekend. I'm not doing anything today. Nobody's paying attention to anything except for um, the inauguration or right. per, I guess 
given the the relatively unimpressive voter turnout this year. I suspect that most of the country is actually doing other things, but um, that is sort of the news of the day is swearing in of our new president. Um, but uh, we'll put something out about this. And I, you know, we just kind of want to reiterate, you know, we typically get some, some pushback about our opposition to tobacco 21 laws. And uh, I, I really just want to restate you know, it's it, it seems that a lot of people feel that raising the age to purchase tobacco and nicotine products to 21 is intuitive. Right. Um, you, you, it, you know, the argument is that you take it out of the kind of the social connections that that uh, perhaps 18 year olds would have with um, you know, some of them are still, you know, in their last bit of high school um, mm -hmm. and they can easily pass off or sell um, cigarettes to their uh, their friends that are a couple right. years younger than them. Um, and that's certainly, you know, I think there's data to support that that, you know, that that does disrupt that social connection a, a little bit. But uh, in reality, uh, these policies don't account for the, you know, the real kind of at-risk young people who live in households where there are smokers, um, like me. You know, when I was 13 years old, my dad smoked. I, I was, it was easy for me to get a pack of cigarettes. And by the time I was 16, um, I just pretended like I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> I drove up in a car. I walked up to the counter with confidence. And if they ever called me on it, uh, I would just say, oh, you know, I left my wallet at home, which right. means I can't even buy these cigarettes, you know, like whatever. <laughs> so uh, it, it was, you know, I managed when I was a young person to to start smoking. Um, and uh, it, it's still possible for young people to do that. Uh, and, and again, this doesn't, this policy doesn't really, uh, it doesn't do much for the, the most at-risk people. Um and and we argue that you know uh like a lot of people uh in this area that that vapor products are a safer alternative and that right. it, it's it's most important for anyone to have accurate information about these products and lumping vapor products in with tobacco 21 policies and arguably lumping smokeless tobacco in with tobacco 21 policies um is uh it, it sends that confusing and inaccurate message that those products are just as harmful as smoking, exactly. um, which is sort of the basis of a lot of our opposition to a lot of these bills, mm -hmm. um, you know, besides access. And then you, I mean, you can get into the whole kind of, um, you know, if you're 18, you're old enough to vote, you're old enough to go off to war. Um, yeah. You should be old enough to do things like buy cigarettes if you want, mm -hmm. um, you know, but sure. again, our, our position is that information really is the key to uh, improving, you know, accurate information is, yeah. is, is key. And access to safer alternatives is the key to improving public health. So mm -hmm. um, that is why we are opposed to Tobacco 21 bills. And um, we're really the only ones that are kind of engaging on it from an opposition standpoint. I mean, other than I think, um, you know, convenience store lobbyists, um, they they get into it because this this hurts their bottom line. There are a lot of mm -hmm. people that shop in convenience stores 
they, they, they go to a C store strictly to pick up a pack of cigarettes, but there are sort of secondary and tertiary pur purchases that those people make. And so if they're not, you know, if, if you're 20 years old and you're not going into the convenience store for cigarettes, well, you're probably not going to buy your, your bottle of soda or, you know, crackers or whatever while you're in there. So um, they argue that it, it, it impacts their, their businesses quite a bit. Um, and this is in Washington state, uh, which is a democratically con de Democrat controlled um, state. So yeah. the, and actually the primary sponsor on this is a Republican. Uh, so it doesn't, really, it doesn't really matter too much. You know, with this, it doesn't matter. The, the party lines don't matter too much here. It's, it's Washington state. Um, okay. So uh, anyway, I'll send that alert out this weekend. If anybody in Washington state okay. is listening and um and yeah we'll get that out the other uh bit of legislation that came up um is uh a licensing bill in maryland um and what it, it, it's actually a pretty difficult bill to read because of the way it's written that's 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 me that's my my eyeballs had a problem with this um okay. <laughs> which is, is kind of rare um, right. uh, the other two states that are actually difficult to read legislation from are Indiana and California. I don't know why, but <laughs> reading bills from those two states actually makes my brain feel like mush. Um, right. <laughs> the, uh, but this Maryland bill, um, it, uh, they used the, the ends, uh, uh, acronym, but they spelled right. it out. So every time they refer to electronic nicotine delivery systems, they they write it out and someone had to type that 136 <laughs> times it is 136 times in this bill and so by the every time i'm reading it i kind of lost my place um <laughs> sorry it's, it's it's pretty irrelevant to the overall discussion here but i just felt like sharing so um you're I'm welcome sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah this is a licensing bill it looks like maryland is setting the stage for taxation which we suspect we'll see um, a tax bill either uh, in the legislature or part of a budget. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the pathway is going to be, mm -hmm. but um, this does set it up so that um, perhaps a, uh, a Department of Revenue could very easily collect taxes from licensed manufacturers, distributors, and retailers. <clears throat> of course, the one of those segments is where they would collect a tax from. <laughs> Um, and there is language in this bill that is uh, strikingly similar to the tax uh, language from Pennsylvania uh, in, in that consumers become sort of unclassified importers uh, or unauthorized. I forget the exact term, but it's the same kind of idea. Um, and so you, if you are in Maryland, or, you know, if this bill is enacted, you would only be able to purchase products from licensed uh, manufacturers, distributors, or retailers in Maryland. And the same is true for everyone in that chain. So okay. uh, a, a licensed retailer in Maryland can only purchase from a licensed distributor or licensed manufacturer in Maryland. Um, <laughs> wow. and, and the company has to have some sort of, the way it sounds, the way I went through this with Ron, Ron Ward is on our right. board of directors, who's also a shop owner in Baltimore. Um, right. He uh, went through this and said, you know, uh, it, 
it, it looks like it's requiring these, if you're a manufacturer, you have to have a physical presence in the state of Maryland in order to be licensed. Um, wow. So uh, yeah, this is a, it's a, it's a tricky bill. It seems to be somewhat poorly written um, and uh, we're going to uh, try to uh, get some meetings with the people who are, are pushing this bill actually. Okay. Uh, and, and try to meet with some people in Annapolis next week. Okay. Um, and uh, we'll be getting, possibly getting an engagement out on this soon. There is a committee hearing on the 2nd okay. of February. Mm -hmm. um, so this is moving quickly. And wow. uh, this is something, oh, I forgot to mention. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there is an online sales ban in this, um, <laughs> in this bill. So that's really what... Uh, it uh, activates us is sure. that uh, this would this would uh, would pretty seriously limit people's access to access. vapor products um, not to mention making it very difficult for people to actually get licensed in the state of Maryland um, so uh, so yeah we're gonna be uh, working on that okay um, what else I see in our chat that uh, Jeremy has uh, a question mm -hmm. And I can I can get to that. I'll, okay, I'll read okay. it if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Jaren, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or yeah. you can just ask it if you're on. Yeah. I, it's cool. Okay. Um, I'd like to know if House Bill 2058 is still basically our last resort. <clears throat> um, many people in the vaping industry are pushing it as a last ditch effort to save vaping. And you know, I've heard audio from Senator Cole that basically says that it doesn't limit FDA power, that it actually broadens it and would allow them to completely ban a flavor entirely across the board if they feel like it. So this is um, actually to, well, to adjust the last part first, um, all that HR 2058 does is uh, it modernizes the predicate date. That's it. That's the only change that it makes. It would move the predicate date from February 15th, 2007 to August 8th, 2016. Now, the discussion that you're talking about um, with uh, 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 Representative Cole talking about the flavors, um, I believe he, that's a sort of a misstatement on his part. Um, the FDA has that authority one way or the other. Uh, it doesn't matter whether we change the predicate date or if we pass Cole Bishop, um, it, it they they will likely issue a rule unless, you know, we see a massive overhaul at the Center for Tobacco Products and the FDA. Um, uh -huh. They will likely issue some sort of rule in the next next year or two um, talking about what flavors are acceptable in e-liquid. Uh, it's very much like, I mean, they have, uh, I can't remember if they, they lost the, if they don't have the authority to, to ban menthol, I think they still do. Right. Um, I don't think freedom of speech holds up on that one. Um, but, uh, you know, the FDA absolutely has the ability to regulate flavors. Um, so Cole Bishop or HR 2058 wouldn't change that authority at all. And actually a, a pretty interesting point. Um, and since I, I brought up Cole Bishop, um, you know, one of our, our um, early criticisms of the Cole Bishop amendment was that it explicitly gave explicitly directed the FDA to come up with battery regulations. And if anybody's has been anybody who's been following the FDA announcements, they are starting that process anyway. Um, and so, 
you know, our criticism was that, that, you know, it's, it's debatable whether or not FDA currently has authority to um, issue manufacturing standards for batteries or generally batter, battery regulations. Uh, but the Cole Bishop amendment would actually make it so that it would act, it would grant them that authority, it would direct them to do this. Um, so um, if anything actually kind of gave FDA a little bit more authority than a lot of people were comfortable with, it was the Cole Bishop amendment. Um, now, <laughs> um, as, as I understand it, and actually uh, ha having had a conversation with Representative Cole, um, he will likely be reintroducing um, HR 2058 again this session. It'll be a different number. Um, it may actually resemble the Cole Bishop amendment, uh, or it may just be the same language that it was the past two years. Um, and, and it is, it is sort of a fallback plan. Um, it's not a last resort, but well, maybe I guess fallback and last resort are pretty much the same thing, but, um, if all else fails, uh, you know, that, that's sort of what we would, would like. And, and there's, there's more, um, well, sorry, I'm skipping around here. Um, the Cole Bishop amendment is, you know, a lot of a lot of us sort of felt that the the amendment was kind of dead after um, uh, Donald Trump got elected, um, and uh, and the uh, and Congress actually sort of kicked the can down the road as far as uh, uh, passing a budget, um, and that's going to happen in March, I believe. March, early April is when they will be uh, working on the the Cromnibus. Um, and the Cole Bishop Amendment is still in there. So that still has a chance at passing. Um, it, it also still has a chance of being stripped out. We're not sure. And then again, a lot of stuff can happen between now and then. Um, there is the likelihood of other bills being introduced that do more. And I'm not going to get into details of that yet because it's not um, necessarily public, but... Um, there are other options on the table. And then we have this whole administration change. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are putting a lot of faith in the Trump administration to appoint a, uh, an acceptable director of uh, a secretary of health and human services. Um, I believe Tom Price did have some uh, issues. And uh, so I think his nomination is, is not necessarily a guarantee. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, he was is someone that, as I understand it, would actually um, be uh, open to changing things for vapor products. And then, of course, you know, he gets to, I guess, hire the, the, F, the head of the FDA. Um, so, you know, there's the way that I see it, and I think a lot of other people see it, is that there's a, a, a need for uh, a cultural shift in the FDA and definitely at the Center for Tobacco Products. Um, whether or not, you know, it would be great if that happened internally and um, they uh, acknowledge that uh, harm reduction is a viable strategy and, and is really something they should embrace. Um, I, I kind of feel like that is something that uh, that would have a very lasting change 
but uh, it's also helpful if that, you know, if the Center for Tobacco Products mandate is changed legislatively and if Congress directs them to say, you have to incorporate harm reduction strategies um, into into your, you know, reducing smoking uh, rates that uh, I, I think that would actually be a little bit necessary. My, my first scenario of just saying, Maybe they'll, it'll be an organic change. It's sort of like, it's sort of like a handshake deal. Like, you know, uh, if that happens under this administration, there's no guarantee that the next administration's appointees are going to continue that tradition. Right. So um, it, it's, uh, I do believe that there is a need um, to, uh, to change the statute. It was yeah. a lot. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I hope that kind of answered the question about HR 2058. Yeah, um, it did for me. I was going to say, um, I'm kind of surprised nobody's tried to get rid of that wonderful bit of legislation. Which, that makes which all that possible. The, um, the thing that Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids worked on. The, the, tobacco, the, control actual, Act? the tobacco Control Act. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really surprised nobody's tried to overturn that thing. Um, well, I think at this point, uh, it, it's probably, uh, I mean, to, to open that thing up, right. uh, really exposes, uh, any, any bill that you would go in there to, to change things around. It, 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 it will be exposed to possible, um, dangerous it could you could come out on the other side of something like that and the tobacco control act actually gets more strict yeah i'm sorry stricter um yes. so it's there's a lot of risk there i think in opening that up and i don't think anybody in their right mind in dc is sitting there saying you know we should just repeal the whole goddamn thing um that's i don't think they could say that but i mean I, i'm surprised they haven't through legislation made substantive changes to it you know now it seems like they have pro <laughs> business friendly climate to work in you know what i mean well you know we've discussed this uh, i think mm -hmm. off uh oh, offline yeah, here have. and yeah. and you know <clears throat> what a lot of people don't realize and and what a lot of uh you know tobacco control people don't really publicize is that the tobacco control act was a safe harbor for the large tobacco companies um well, it basically guaranteed that it, it basically guaranteed that they had um they had the market. Uh, there, it just it limits competition to them, and uh, maybe a few others who decide to get into it, and mm -hmm. uh, and that's that. And and uh, and now we've seen that 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 the Tobacco Control Act actually makes it harder for new, safer nicotine products to come onto the market, um, unless, of course, you are um, Altria. Uh, or PMI, and um, you you have the influence and the money to spend developing a product like heat not burn. Um, I, I I believe it's 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 public knowledge. Um, I I can't remember where it came from, um, but uh, without getting too, too specific, um, it has been reported that they are fairly confident that they're heat not burn product will get approval. Yep. And um, 
and and that will happen rather quickly. It could happen within the next two years. Um, it could happen this year. Yes. <clears throat> so, um, and and it's it's not because you know it's the best product on the market. Uh, from what you know, I, I actually uh, have tried it. Um, it's interesting. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I, I like my vapor more. Uh, but uh-huh. it's not for me. It's for smokers. Yep. Um, it, but uh, it's because they have they have the resources in order to conduct the science. The science is up on their website. You can actually right. check it out um, to demonstrate that this satisfies the, the criteria for a modified risk tobacco product. <laughs> and even if it doesn't, they can go through the the uh, the PMTA process. Yep. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, tobacco controllers love the Tobacco Control Act because it makes them look like they've done something substantial and tobacco companies love it because it uh, keeps the market small and manageable. Yep. Protectionist. Yeah. Protectionist legislation. And I don't know anybody who really wants to go up against all that money. (laughs) Well, yeah, true. (laughs) Except for, you know, us, because we're crazy. <laughs> there is that. So, um, isn't the FDA doing something about, they're doing hearings about uh, battery safety? Yes, and um, another post to look forward to this weekend from Kissa. Uh, Bruce Nye has spent a substantial amount of time working on this. Um, and uh, actually... I don't, his name's not on the document, but we actually consulted a little bit with um, a, a fellow by the name of Mooch, okay. um, or known as Mooch, um, the, uh, I guess, sort of resident battery expert in the vaping community, um, and a, a rather, rather smart guy, and um, put together sort of a battery safety uh, document. Okay. that uh, uh, people can read. It's accessible to, to new people and experienced people alike. Awesome. Um, and this also coincides with our um, offering of a, uh, a battery case. Um, it's a slick, yes. uh, slick looking two battery uh, clear case with the CASA logo on it. And the text reads practice safe vaping. Um, and okay. don't worry, it's not a modified risk claim. It is a mm-hmm. play on uh, practice safe sex, which is another <laughs> harm reduction movement that was wildly successful. And uh, right. you know, we're in the same boat with those with those folks. So, um, an appropriate play on a phrase there. Um, and yes, uh, the FDA will be holding a uh, workshop in April. Okay. Uh, this is something that, uh, you know, in the, within our, within, if you're within the sound of my voice and you have uh, credentials in the world of, of, of batteries, mm-hmm. um, even I think uh, something that would be useful um, and I think that we might be exploring is in the area of um, campaigns, communication uh, for, you know, for safety campaigns, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things I think that, that we're arguing that, that a lot of other people are arguing is that probably the most useful um, and impactful thing that that the industry can do, that advocates can do, um, and even the FDA can do, is engage in some sort of public awareness campaign as Mm -hmm. to how to properly uh, transport, use, and care for these batteries 
Um, you know, vapor products are, I'm not saying anything that anybody doesn't already know, but vapor products are, are somewhat unique in, uh, compared to other portable electronic devices in that we use these, these battery cells and, uh, you know, your phone, your laptop, your cordless, um, hair curler, whatever, um, they all have battery packs within the device you don't have to really you, you rarely ever have to get in there and you know replace that you, know, you don't mess around with that at all um but the the batteries that we're using have a tendency to end up loose in people's pockets or purses or backpacks and uh and that's where problems arise that's where i i, I would be willing to wager most of the problems arise either on while the battery is being charged or while they're being carried um, improperly. Um, So uh, promoting battery cases to people, to me, seems like a very logical and potentially a very effective way to um, minimize substantially the risk of of carrying lithium ion batteries around. Yeah. So um, yeah, the FDA, uh, I, I believe, uh, I don't know if we made an announcement about it. We might include it in the post tomorrow. Um, and okay. uh, but uh, it, it is something you can search on the FDA's site, um, or just search if, if you're interested. Google <clears throat> um, FDA battery safety workshop, and I'm sure it'll come up in the top five results. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting kind of thing. And it is, you know, it is an opportunity for experts to get there and and really um, give the FDA a lot of information. Um, you know, ultimately, I think what we would like to avoid is FDA uh, requiring that manufacturers use a uh, specifically designed battery pack um, yeah. that would immediately that would immediately shut down the industry. Yeah. Um, and, and if it were something that were to take effect prior to August 8th, um, unless the FDA were to uh, issue their whatever guidance, um, it would it would shut down the industry prior to August eighth. Uh, it would require manufacturers to make new devices that could accept this particular battery pack, uh-huh. and um, yeah, that's it's a it's a non-starter. And yeah. uh, so this this has been our our concern with any talk of battery regulations all along. Yeah. So. So yeah. It, it's a circular reasoning kind of thing. Yeah. Step before this date is unsafe, so you can't use anything made. Yeah. All right. You know, no, there's no. another thing. <clears throat> yeah. There's another, speaking of like, well, it's not really circular reasoning, but weird math uh, and dates <laughs> to like arrive at when things can be on the market or not. Right. Um, I, I've been getting some messages about this, and I, I think we might have talked about this last week, but um, I'll restate it just so. Um, there's a timestamp and people can reference it if they're in conversations. Um, okay. There was a, uh, there is a bill, it's HR 21. Um, and it is uh, in, in Congress and working its way around. Uh, and it is called the midnight rules relief act. Mm-hmm. Um, it was previously the midnight rules relief act of 2016. Now it is the midnight rules relief act of 2017. Mm-hmm. And um <clears throat> there, there is an existing um, uh, rule. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's not the Congress. It's the is it the Congressional Review Act? 
Um, I think so. Yeah. And it uh, allows a a new Congress to uh, uh, rescind or undo any uh, last minute rules from the executive branch uh -huh. um, that are done within the last 60 days, the last 60 legislative days of uh -huh. the previous Congress. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that legislative days designation is important because it actually stretches it back a little further than just November and December. Um, and uh, so a lot of people are looking at this uh, at HR 21 uh, as if it is going to save the vapor industry. Um, there was there was a, a report that came out from um, what is essentially a vapor retailer, um, right. and uh, it was on their blog. Uh, and I believe actually some other um, legal blog site was opining about it. Um, but the, the thing that both of these posts failed to consider was, first of all, counting the days, right. um, which I actually just tried to research through like congress.gov mm -hmm. and uh, the, the calendar wasn't up a couple weeks ago. Right. Um, it's something I think they have to take some time and look back and see, well, we're in session, does it really count, blah, blah, right. blah. There are rules. Mm -hmm. um, but it's suspected that the 60 legislative days takes us back to somewhere in June. Right. Um, which that alone is well after the, the May 10th um, right. finalization of, of the FDA deeming. Um, mm -hmm. The HR 21, what all it does is it would allow Congress to um, uh, undo uh, blocks of, of regulation. Yeah. The way the law is now is they can they only do one at a time. But yep. uh, Republicans' argument is that, uh, well, there's just so many of them that uh, we need the power to take out large swaths of regulations. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what they're trying to do. Uh, but it doesn't really, it doesn't offer us any relief. Um, it may uh, for some of the stuff that has passed um, in the past week or so. Right. Uh, if I don't know if it if it goes as far as dealing with guidance, um, but the the guidance that recently came out from FDA is actually useful for a change. Um, not that it changes much; it's just kind of useful that they clarified things. Um, so uh, there might be some things that can get changed, or or uh, uh, I, I want to say repeal, but that's not really the right word. No, um, overturned overturned rescinded I, i'm not exactly sure um but uh yeah so in, in terms of the deeming regulations the um congressional review act doesn't really help us a whole lot but there was some discussion about whether or not uh, uh you would start counting that 60 days from like 60 days after the rule was enacted right so there was some weird math involved there that i think is confusing people <laughs> Um, but you know, the consensus at this point is, uh, that no, this, this does not help us. Um, the specific bill doesn't help us any more than the existing law. Um, so, uh, if anybody's still kind of confused about that, um, I would urge you first to, you know, read HR 21 and, and see exactly what it does. Yeah. Uh, and then second, uh, if you're having an argument, feel free to link to this particular section in our podcast. <laughs>
yeah. Well, it, it doesn't do that. I think it would do, yeah, you're right, with the weird math. There was, wasn't it something about truthful, truthful um, claims that could be made? That's what people were all In about. In the, uh, the, the FDA guidance? Yeah. Um, well, with the, the recent, uh, with the guidance for, uh, certain tobacco dealers and, and vape shops, mm -hmm. um, that was a lot of that, I think, uh, perhaps clarified, um, you know, the difference between demonstrating a product to somebody versus doing something that would make you a manufacturer. Right. And, uh, I mean, for, for those of us who've, who've sort of understood this for a while, it, it, it puts it in very plain language, exactly what the difference is. Absolutely. You can demonstrate with a display model, how to put together a, a mod. Um, you can demonstrate how to refill a tank. <clears throat> you can demonstrate how to do everything. You just can't do it for people. Right. Um, on the other hand, when someone is trying to put something together you can do things like tighten screws um you you can it's it's considered maintenance actually and it's not manufacturing um okay. and i believe the fda actually said that you can replace a coil for someone as long as it's the same coil that they had before huh. which is possible and there are people that are very good at building coils and can consistently make something the same resistance over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that it, it just clarified that that was sort of an option for people. So um, yeah. the, uh, however, I think the one that you're talking about is, is the um, making modified risk claims. Yeah. Um, well, I'm saying I, I thought when that was, it's probably just me. I thought that when that was, um, those, it was all naturally, so it doesn't matter. Either yeah, way. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I, and I don't know exactly if something like that would be affected by the Congressional Review Act. Um, yeah. I think FDA might argue that that's not a new regulation. Right. Um, that is a, that's, it's, you know, basically non-binding guidance. It's FDA's current thinking on, um, you know, what making a modified risk claim means. Um, and this is something that, uh, you know, we, we also believe that uh, any, any, any legislative solutions or hopefully um, there, there's some sort of other legal way to uh, change that interpretation because, you know, we, we advocate strongly that uh, retailers and manufacturers of vapor products should be able to tell the truth about their products. You know, if even if it's just as simple as saying this product is smoke free, right. um, we you know smokeless tobacco companies should be able to say that yeah. smokeless tobacco is smoke free. Um, it, it's it's you know there's really no debating that, yeah. um, but the FDA says that's essentially a modified risk claim. Um, gotta love them. Gotta love them. Yeah. So I see that I've gone on quite long here. Um, but, uh, I did want to, I, I have forgotten to mention this, 
uh, last week, and and I, I don't feel like I've promoted this enough, but on Monday, uh, I will be in Harrisburg, um, the Pennsylvania Vapor Association, Pennsylvania Vaping Association, uh, is organizing again a rally um, in support of legislation that will reduce the 40% wholesale tax on vapor products in Pennsylvania. Um, so again, we're looking at uh, uh, one or more bills that would be changing the tax rate. Um, we have support. There was actually a lot of support for uh, this effort last year, mm-hmm. um, but it was stalled. There was a, a bit of a poison amendment that was offered um, that, that stalled things and nobody wanted to deal with it because it was an election year. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but this time uh, it's, uh, it's much needed relief and, and hopefully there will be lots of people in attendance, in attendance again. Um, so I'll be there. Uh, I believe Greg, Gregory Conley is going to be there. Uh, I also believe Bill Godshaw is going to be there, uh, and some, some representatives from, uh, businesses in Pennsylvania. Um, PA Safada is going to be there. Um, and the organizers, John Dietz and Chuck Huff will also, um, be there and, and hopefully they've, they, they managed to get some pretty, uh, uh, impactful, uh, consumer testimonials, um, shared at the last one. So, uh, Good. hopefully that will also, uh, happen again and make an impact. There was lots of media at the last one. It was, it was actually pretty well covered. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to making some noise in Pennsylvania next week. Awesome. Is that it for this week, Alex? I think so. I'm pretty sure in like an hour I'm going to be like, oh, wait, I forgot to talk about that. <laughs> well, um, there's, uh, well, with legislation, all you have to really do is wait five or 10 minutes and something new will pop up. That's yeah. the way it is. But thank you for everything you do for us, Alex. And thank you for coming on again. It's good to have these regular updates again. We've missed them. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to get back in the groove. Yeah see you next week all right all right good night thanks good night night okay welcome to the anti-nanny portion of the of the podcast uh with me this evening is jeremy are you there okay yes sorry yeah okay um Good, you're there. And uh, the best producer money can't buy, which is good because I'm still not paying him after years. <laughs> Barry, how are you tonight, Barry? Good, apart from the Windows update 10 minutes before we're going to go live kind of thing. But, uh, well, it, it worked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gotta love Windows. All right. Um, so it's been an interesting week. Um does anybody want to talk about the inauguration? I was working. I you know, I do. Okay. Go ahead. I I found it quite revealing that, you know, everybody that's been screaming, not my president, and, you know, the anti-Trump, they're all protesting, and the one company that actually takes a vocal stand against Trump being Starbucks Mm-hmm. They're smashing out the windows of the business. Like y'all really didn't think that out very good, did you? You know, I think the thing that kills me 
is um, there are, are people who advertise for to pay people to protest against candidates. This year, it's gone on much longer than that. All you really have to do is you can go to, well, um, Craigslist, and you can find people getting $20 an hour to protest in D.C. today. Um, you know, I, I always thought protest was an organic thing and not something that people paid for. So I have a real problem with that. I didn't get to see the inauguration, but um, I, I really think anybody who didn't like what was said <laughs> um, apparently did not really pay attention to um, who got elected because I don't think you're really going to be able to change president's model and how he does anything personally um at all ever yeah the, I, I listened to the speech um you know I, I stay up all night so i usually sleep all morning but i set an alarm this morning for 9 30 so i'd make sure that i was up at the right time and i listened to his speech and um there were moments where i was just in my head you know i'm shaking my head going really come on man <laughs> Like, seriously, he was very, um, he was very passive aggressive, um, where he, when he took the dais and he got up on the podium and started speaking, he said, um, this marks a heraldic moment and ends an era of government that is not represented by the people. This ends an era of politicians in Congress and in the Senate and in all offices of D.C. that have looked out for their greater good while the rest of the families in the United States have suffered. Um, this, is a, this is a government that was represented by itself and not in for basically not in for the best interest of the people. So now we go back to a government that is for the people where it is controlled by the people. And it kept cutting back. NBC kept cutting back to the, uh, the split screen where one side was Trump and the other, they were focusing on Obama's reactions. And you could tell that he was just biting his lips. And you could see him visibly sigh just <sighs> several times. And while that was interesting to watch, and it was quite funny because you could tell that he was basically just shitting on the legacy of Obama, Bush, Clinton, Obama, or Obama, Clinton, Obama, Bush, Clinton, Bush, and he kind of skipped over Car uh, Reagan because, you know, President Reagan was obviously not there, but, you know, the only president that I felt when, when he was saying this, they cut over to Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter just had his grin on, this grin on his face like, I know he's not talking about me. <laughs> so. Um, well, Jimmy Carter's almost dead. Um, so, and I'm not saying that to be mean. He's really, he doesn't look well. The last few times I've seen him, he's not looked well. But um, when, I, when I think about the things that Carter did um, for the greater good, and I'm making air quotes, you can't see me now, um, it makes me sick. If it weren't for him, uh, and, uh, oh, 
what's that, that little guy, the guy who should get arrested for war crimes? Barry, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? The, 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 the man with the interesting European accent. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. George Soros! Kissinger. <laughs> Kissinger. Oh! Well, yeah, I mean, Henry Kissinger. He and Kissinger, before they got involved, in fact, the Mujahideen, um, I don't think people understand what it was actually like in the Muslim corners of the world over there. Because have you ever seen the pictures of like early 1960, early 1970 in that whole area? Women were wearing mini skirts. They were going to school. Guys had long hair. They played in bands. It was really a, a very modern world where it's not so much anymore. And if it weren't for them backing that regime over there because it was better for our interests with oil, um, I think we would have had a very and I don't want to say progressive, but a very modernized thinking Muslim society, which we really don't have to this day. And that's because we interfered in the process. And it, it makes me sick that people say Jimmy Carter was a good president. No, he was not. He was a protectionist president, just like everyone else we ever had. Instead of standing back and saying, let the world do what the world will do and we will do what we will do. They all pretty much stuck their noses in and then we get what you see today you know um exactly unforeseen consequences so he might not have been talking about carter but he might as well have been um yeah in my own opinion you know jimmy carter was one of the just he was one of the most ineffectual presidents like he didn't really do anything for the greater good um he didn't really do anything that ever got massive uh, media coverage, except for when he said, you know, uh, we're going to all Muslims coming in from Iran, Syria. And the Democrats didn't forget that he said that, but no one was framing Islam. Wow, you're breaking Either you're breaking up or I'm breaking up. Seems like we're And a Republican or someone who's coming, oh, you're racist, xenophobe, and we get to switch the party back in the 1800s. Okay. Um, no, you're breaking up a little bit. Yeah, we didn't get any of that lost, but. No. <laughs> no, um, the last thing I heard was Carter had banned people from entering the country. So, yeah. Okay, I don't know. So anyway, well, I watched the inauguration, but yeah, like like most of people outside the U.S., we're just still looking on with amusement. Uh, well, and yes, you know... his speech was, as Jeremy said, very passive aggressive. It's like he's still campaigning to be president, even though he just became president. Lots of well, people over I mean, here have been pointing that out. It's like, uh -huh. has nobody told him he's actually won? You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's it was that kind of speech, you know, because yeah. yeah, winning, yeah. winning, America great, America great. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know all that. We've been listening to you for months. Um, uh -huh. What are you actually going to do? <laughs> 
Most presidents right. actually tell you some of the stuff they're going to do. He was kind of light on that. Uh-huh. Unsurprisingly, since his mind on certain on, on a lot of the topics were probably different at the start of the speech than by the time he got to the end. Because <laughs> that just seems to be the way he works. Um, but, yeah, he's in. We have to live with it. Right. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't claim to know. It. Uh, it. It was whatever it was. I guess. Um. So, oh, and yeah, yeah, the protesters getting violent or morons. But well, yeah, we all know that anyway. You know, I, I wish it was just that they were morons. Um, I, I don't have a problem with people being stupid. I have people with. I have a problem with people um, getting paid to be idiots. <laughs> Um, and you know, I, I think the other thing that really shook me yesterday, I don't really watch a whole lot of TV, but, uh, there were fires and there were riots breaking out in Washington, DC and NBC, which I don't really watch NBC, but a, a clip came up on, on YouTube and I happened to click on it and they were interviewing this little fucking 10 year old kid, 10, who was standing behind a fire saying, yeah, I lit that. I lit that huh. fire. I don't like Trump, so I lit that fire. What? Oh dear. So yeah, I I yeah, I have issues with shit like that. You don't you don't involve kids in stuff like this. You're you're going to if you're a red and black anarchist, right, and you think this is the way to go, then you you just basically uh, just deal with yourself. You know what I mean? You, but you don't drag your kids along into that. And and you know what I mean by red and black anarchists. They're the ones yeah. who are like, well, we, we can't affect change, so we're going to just burn it all down. Um, yeah, the world can't think, be what we want it to be, so we might as well destroy it. Which just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, we all live on the same fucking planet. We've all got to take a slice of the same misery, so why would you make it harder for somebody else just because you don't like it? I, I don't know. Um, either way, I, I think people who are are you know all about the president doing a bad job and and he's going to to wreck the world need to get a clue we're all on this boat together right if he drives it up onto the island a good portion of us are going to starve to death so i i really i hope he does a, a better job than um yeah that's all I, I hope he does a good job i i hope some stupid regulations get pulled i I hope that it's it's okay to have puddles on your land and not have the have stupid regulations saying you can't have moving dirt across the puddles and the government can seize your land. I, I mean, I hope the era of things like that stops. Um, but I, I do hope we don't stop with science and innovation. I, I hope it's easier for small businesses to open and thrive. I think that would be really good for our economy. Um, we haven't had anything really good for our economy in years. Um, and of course, that's due to a lot of people doing a lot of stupid things. Like when you see them, you know, has anybody ever read the notes after a Federal Reserve meeting? Funnily no. Enough, no. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So, again, we know I'm the only one who's read all the pages of the Affordable Care Act. Um, I'm the only one who read the bailout packages when they were passed. 
And so I'm the only person I know who actually reads the notes after the Federal Reserve puts them out. So um, the Federal Reserve will have a meeting and they'll talk about raising or lowering interest rates um, based on the global economy. And one thing that's um, kind of struck me, at least in the last 15 years, is the Federal Reserve has been against something they call full employment because it's bad for globalization. Um, yeah, it probably is bad for globalization, but if you are actually involved in banking for um, the sake of, of being a Federal Reserve and not a, a banking cartel, um, you would be interested in, in how your country was doing. And these people are not, and not just their country. They have these lofty ideas for how to change the world with juggling interest rates and stuff. Well, yeah, a good example is the UK at the minute. Right. We have some of the lowest unemployment on record. Mm -hmm. And yet our economy is still pretty much tanked. Well, it's tanked everywhere. I mean, because the, all the money's still at the top. <laughs> well, it is still at the top. It went from 26 people last year to 8 this year. So let that sink in for a minute. Last year, okay, a good portion of the wealth moves up. It just does. It's an economic certainty. After wealth moves up for so long, it just keeps funneling up. It, it just can't help itself. It's just how wealth works. But last year, what was it? 26 people had 75% of the wealth of the planet. Wealth, like physical money, not the wealth of nations kind of wealth. But they had 75% of all the money on the planet. Now that's changed that's eight people who have all that money and people at the bottom are, are fighting with that last 25 percent to make a living to feed their families to scrape a living out of dirt to all sorts of things um this system does not work the system has removed wealth from the wealth of nations it's taken wealth and made it run by a computer algorithm and it's forced protectionism down our throats for the banking community, which is just disgusting. Um, that shouldn't be happening. But the Federal Reserve is in for a lot of this. The Federal Reserve, the World Bank, the IMF, they're pretty much all in this together. And yeah. I think Brexit and I think Donald Trump is like a wake-up call for these people. Like, I don't think they realized how fed up people were getting with this nonsense definitely um less so trump definitely brexit though what happened in the stock markets on the brexit vote was astonishing <laughs> yeah. well you know I, I think they they do not like the idea of populism right no. they they see this they call it um well bush used to call it what the new world order something like <laughs> that yeah which that's kind of code, right? I mean, do we all agree that's kind of code for one world governance? Yes. Very, do we agree on that? Oh, yeah. Does that make me sound crazy? Okay. So, I was watching some of the events at Davos. And <laughs> Davos is probably a name that's not really familiar to many people. I don't really talk about it. To me, that's like talking about the Bilderberg group. I don't talk about them. Because um, it makes me sound crazy. But with Davos, I don't 
have to worry if they're dancing around the statue of fucking Morlock. I can go right to the Davos website and watch what these fuckers are doing. Yep, because they just okay. don't care if you're watching. They don't give a flying fuck nope. what you say. Not at all. So, if you're not in the club, um, they don't care. They no, do it's, like build a, it's like Bilderberg for everybody else. Well, it's like Bilderberg for the really rich people, not the really politically influential and connected people. It's like two different worlds, but it's the same kind of scum of the earth people. Yeah, our, our like leader's this. been there this week making a tit of herself, but yeah. <laughs> Mine isn't. Isn't that surprising? Nah, he's too busy making a tit of himself your way. So, yeah. <laughs> well, he's well, just being... the ex-tit and the new tit, yeah. So they took they took away his phone. They, they took away his phone. <laughs> About damn time. Well, they have to, you know, and you, I guess they can. I saw a quick, before before my computer started updating, the last thing I saw was apparently all the Melania Trump uh, merchandising crap from QVC has appeared on the White House website, apparently, already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know... At least they're on let me put it this way. At least they're fucking honest about it. At least they're not like shillery trying to sneak out in the middle of the night with the first ladies, you know, dinnerware collections and sell them. No, and I'm maybe I'm the only one who's still sore about that, but we own the China patterns of the first ladies. And they might have stores of them underneath the White House somewhere. Or they should probably go on display in the freaking Smithsonian. But she didn't own that. She didn't buy that. She didn't pay for that. She had no right to sell it, and yet she did. She did a lot of fucked up shit. So I expect fucked up shit from the people in power. That's just what I do. And somebody's buzzing. Is please tell me that's not me. Okay. No, it's Jeremy again. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that is. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but she did fucked up stuff like that. Bill did yeah. fucked up stuff like that. They made all kind of deals when they were in office. They, I mean, they all do it. <laughs> didn't she get her brother? She got her brother out of jail. She, you know, and then she sets her brother up with this oil company. They all do fucked up stuff. At least they're being—I don't know—they're being transparent about being shady. Does that oh, make uh, any fucking sense? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, also, al also, the same report was saying lots of the civil rights, equal rights, all that kind of stuff has now gone yeah. from the White House website. Well, <laughs> so it has been know, a clean sweep. They have cleaned everything off from coming in. Uh, well, I mean, so. and that might be very true. Um, I didn't, I'm not going to lie to you guys, I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't. I, I don't, I didn't want to vote. I had to. And, and not because I wanted to, but I had to for local things. So, you know, I put my money where my mouth is and I supported Vermin Supreme because I, I really, really think, um, why, why the fuck not? I couldn't you just want a unicorn. Nothing. You know, I want zombie power. You know, I want, I want, um, I want to have a power source where we don't have to do any sort of, um, environmental damage and zombies are perfect for that no, i'm kidding but um i i just i didn't i didn't vote for trump but i am so sick of hearing people saying 
how wonderful Obama was and why couldn't we have eight more years of Obama? Really? That man dropped a bomb on brown people that he didn't know every 20 minutes that he was in office for eight fucking years. Every 20 minutes, a bomb went off on somebody. I don't consider that a great president. We've had, what, four or five undeclared wars. We, we haven't even bothered going to Congress to declare war, and that's their job. Um, I just I have a real problem with that. I'm going to close down Guantanamo Bay. There's still 40 people there. Um, I'm going to grant clemency to people. Sweet. So you grant clemency to Chelsea Manning. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. And I know there are people who will hate me for that. I, I don't really care. A lot of the Manning documents brought to light a lot of the shit that went on with Blackwater, which we kind of knew about, but we didn't really know until those documents came out. And the classic video of the the Apache strike in Iraq. Yeah. yeah. We didn't really know about that stuff. And a lot of it was about some of the stuff Clinton had been doing that we didn't really know about. I don't have a problem with Manning leaking the stuff to WikiLeaks. I have a problem with the way WikiLeaks leaks classified materials that can endanger people's lives. That I have a problem with. Where I think Snowden did a better job going to the press and, and having them decide what, you know what I mean? Yeah, he gave it to actual news people who actually vetted the information rather yeah, than just dumping it all on the... <laughs> yeah, dumping it all on Assange. Speaking I, I of just... which, yeah, Assange still doesn't seem to have emerged from his uh, <laughs> his little self-imposed exile. Yeah, Possibly because, of course, your country is a bit busy at the minute. Uh, <laughs> and the actual only outstanding warrant for him is to Sweden. The US yep. haven't even issued one for him. So, yeah, he's just yeah. staying where he is despite what he said. Yeah, well, I guess in a way I can't really believe it. But anyway, so I was watching the events at Davos this week. Oh, and mm -hmm. if you want some comic relief, and it's not even comic relief, it's just more fucking disgusting, and it, it pisses me off. You should watch the people at Davos pretend that they're a refugee crawling through whatever on the floor um, trying to escape being droned you want to see something disgusting you should watch that because that's on the Davos website there's tons of videos tons of speakers tons of articles and and tons of just really despicable disgusting stuff so mostly what I spent this week doing was watching the people at Davos and shaking my head probably the best moment that I personally saw at Davos is when the lights went out on Joe Biden when he was speaking <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of great. Um, so, yeah. And I hear uh, Crazy Uncle Joe has declared his intention to run in 2020. Yeah. That should be... Well, that should be something. Yeah. Okay. Which is just unreal. So, Barry, tell me what you know about Davos. What, what are the people that go to Davos, what are they there for? Uh, basically to discuss whose turn it is to get all the money. Uh, basically, that's what they're doing. That's basically it. <laughs> when, you come, when, when you put it as simply as possible, that's what it's about. Who gets the money? 
Yeah, yeah it, it seemed a lot like when everybody was going up to the altar to speak, or the uh, altar, imagine that, <laughs> Freudian slip, um, while everybody what? was going up, while everybody was going altar? up to, yes, while everybody was going up to the podium to speak, it was basically in, without mincing words, it was, okay, we have this much money, and there's this much money remaining in the world, how do we get the remaining money where nobody else can have it? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how Davos is. Um, and I'm not even sure. I, I put, I picked the first two stories. I figured, let's get Davos out of the way. <laughs> Everything else after this will kind of pale in comparison. So I'm going to read it. <clears throat> this is from Vanity Fair, which is not a publication that is written for the likes of you and I. Would you agree? I yep. say, I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say, I don't think Vanity Fair is written for people like myself or for people like you, Jeremy. I think it's written for like film industry people, for the beautiful, glamorous people who are all sort of left-leaning people. Oh, you mean the, the organization of people that for basically the last hundred years have been at the beck and call of the media to try and sway the general population's opinion to the government's opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Dead on. Okay. So this was written in Vanity Fair magazine. Uh, Davos attendees pose poor people simulations to ponder how they got it all so wrong. With populism raging across the West, the world's elite consider giving more money to the poor. Secluded in Davos, Switzerland this week for the annual World Economic Forum, the world's rich and powerful have been unusually pensive. While they're not hobnobbing when they're not hobnobbing with Bono, enjoying refugee simulations. Um, and let me just pop this into the VP Live chat for people. Um, <clears throat> that is a Davos refugee simulation. And after our parties at the local piano bar, the global elite are reportedly starting staring into the void that is Brexit, the slow disintegration of the European Union and the presidency of Donald J. Trump, and trying to figure out where it all went wrong. Is the world order they helped to build really so terrible that a man with no political experience and a bad Twitter habit will soon lead the free world? Is the notion of being an EU member so hideous that Britain would prefer to exit the single market just to keep immigrants out? Clearly, for the people who voted for these things, the answer is yes. And obviously, it came as a shock to many. But now that we're here, what can be done to stop the citizens from sending the enlightened world on a path straight to hell? According to Davos attendees, many of whom are still reeling from the political events of June and November, the first thing to do is acknowledge how we got here. The answer starts with a P and ends with an opulism. And how dire the consequences may be, billionaire hedge fund manager Ray Dalio, for one, is scared as hell, telling Bloomberg Television's Francais Lacroix that we may be at a point where globalization is ending, and provincialization and nationalization is taking hold. I want to be loud and clear. Populism scares me, Delio said. The number one 
issue economically as a market participant is how populism manifests itself over the next year or two. JP Morgan Chase CEO Jimmy Dimon, that fucking cockroach, told Bloomberg in a separate interview at Davos that the Eurozone may not survive, warning that the Western world can expect the same political things about immigration, the laws of the country, how much power goes to Brussels, to continue unless leaders start taking the underlying issues seriously. International Monetary Fund chief and criminal Christine Lagarde, who should be rotting in fucking jail for what she did but got a fucking pass, Meanwhile, is also scared of populism, but she was talking about it in 2013 and no one was listening. Not that she's saying I told you so or anything. Quote, I got strong backlash from economists in particular who said that it wasn't really of their business to think about these things, including in my own institutions, which has now been very much converted to the importance of inequality and studying it and providing policies in response to that, she later added. It did not get much traction, she said. Well, I hope people will listen now. If they don't, we may be heading towards a world in which dear leader Trump welcomes Marie Le Pen to the Gold House. It used to be the White House, but in 2018, he tore it down and built something so much more terrific. To discuss policy. If that doesn't sound like something people are interested in, there are a few suggestions for what can be done, although, spoiler alert, the 1% may not like it. Lagarde said policymakers really have to think it through and see what can be done given the feedback from voters who say no. Among measures that could be implemented are fiscal and structural reform, she added. But it needs to be granular. It needs to be regional. It needs to be focused on what people will get out of it. And it probably means more redistribution than we have in place at the moment, which is like zero. Lagarde told the panel entitled Squeezed and Angry, How to Fix the Middle Class Crisis, Excessive inequalities were a break on sustainable growth, she said. Yes, all it takes is a torch and pitchfork-wielding horde outside the gates of Paris and Berlin, and suddenly everyone sounds like Elizabeth Warren on a bender. According to the professor of international economics, Richard Baldwin, the rich just need to put on their goddamn big boy and girl pants, telling Bloomberg at Davos, they may just need to be a man up. We have to pay for the social cohesion that we need to keep our societies advancing, and accept that this may be a higher tax burden on people. Outgoing Vice President Joe Biden similarly told attendees the solution is for them to get off their asses and pay up unless they're content with allowing bad actors like Russia to destroy the progressive values of the United States and Europe. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Bad actors have always existed, Biden said, but their potential impact feels greater now than in years past, Part of the reason is that income inequality has risen, creating pressure on the world order as we've known it, he asserted. While it is easy for business leaders and politicians to embrace the benefits of globalization at a place like Davos, Biden warned that it is at our peril to ignore fears across the developed world. Biden said our goal should be a world where everyone's standard of living is rising and that continuing education is going to be required to help people advance. He suggested that the U.S. government could and should pay for college to help advance people in their careers. We need a progressive stack tax structure where everyone pays their fair share, said Biden. The top 1% is not carrying their own weight. The World Economic Forum organizers could probably just have passed a donation box around as Biden spoke and allowed the attendees to contribute roughly half the cash in their wallets and fix this whole thing right then and there. But baby steps are fine. 
you. You can't imagine what these people think of us. You can't even imagine. They, they try not to very hard. We're, we're yeah. like less than pets to them. We're, we're like less than a wild animal to these fucking people. Go ahead. I, I just find it funny that once again they found something to blame on Russia. Thanks, Russia. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't... All I'm going to tell you is this. Many times, many, 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 many times, we have gotten involved in the politics of other countries. You didn't think that we were going to draw the same sort of interest from other countries. You're fucking delusional. So I don't know whether they did get involved in our election. I don't know if they didn't. But I do think the report that was released by the intelligence community was fucking laughable. I like how they blamed RT and they blamed two shows that hadn't been on the air for like two to three years on RT for dumping Hillary's chances to be president. Excuse the fuck out of me, but if you're so fucking bad that an RT America show from two to three years ago busted your chances, then you shouldn't have been fucking running. Run a better candidate. Exactly. And that was the thing. It's, you know, I don't have a problem with a woman being president. I'm not sexist. Millions of Americans are not sexist. We don't have an issue with a woman being president. We just have an issue with that woman being president. Of all the political candidates you could have chose, you chose her? Come on. Just her time. Just her time. It's it's just crazy. It's Did you catch the um, the footage, the, the little segment of Bill Clinton where he kept staring at Ivanka and Hillary caught him? And <laughs> it looked it looked like she nudged him and he was like, he didn't even break eye contact. He was just like, <laughs> what? And she just kind of smiled at him and turned her head back. <laughs> Hold on, I'll, I'll find it. I'll paste it in the chat for everybody. That's fucking ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. This is, this is ridiculous. Um, when you look at the actual politics of what Bill and Hillary sold the country. I mean, the country wasn't doing too bad when Bill was in office, but I, I think what people don't realize is what you see economically when a new president comes in, generally speaking, is the policies of the old president for at least the first year or two. Um, and then you get to see some granular effects from what the new president has decided their focus is going to be. Um, a president does have that much power, but I will say I think they focused on sentencing reform, which put more young black people in jail for slight and minor crimes and kept them there longer. Um, and don't forget, they're the ones that deregulated the banks and allowed this last housing bubble bullshit to take us all down. Don't forget that these people did that. And, and I think the people... As much as I say they're stupid, they remember that. You know what I mean? They remember that Bill might have been okay when he was in office, but on his way out, he gave him the big hard screw, and I don't think they like it. And then you, of course, had Hillary as Secretary of State, and that was disastrous for years. So we know what she's capable of. It's not that we don't know what she's capable of. We've known what she's been capable of for the last 30 fucking years. 
was this woman not kicked off the Watergate Commission for being so corrupt and such a liar that they couldn't stand to have her around? Or am I just dreaming that? No, you're, you're not dreaming that. Um, okay. Nobody seems to remember the fact that Bill Clinton sold, I don't care if it was obsolete ICBM technology or not, he sold ballistic missiles technology to China just right before he exited. Nobody seems to remember that. Well, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. All I can say is I think the Clintons were very blatant about the shit they did. And they were always very um, like, yeah, so. And they never said, I'm sorry. They would just... They're really big at telling a lie on top of a lie, 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 and and hoping that people forget. But people don't forget that stuff. You can't lie consistently and expect people to trust you. That's all I'm going to say. If the Democrats wanted to win, they actually had a chance with Bernie Sanders. And I will tell you something. I'm not a communist. I'm not a socialist. I am not in any way that kind of person. But if Bernie had won the White House, I would have supported him fully because I want us to do well as a country. Now, when we do better, our people are happier. Our home life is happier. You know, it, it would have been nice if everybody felt the same, no matter who got in. As much as... As much as I disagreed with Bernie Sanders, if he would have been elected, I damn sure wouldn't be sitting back going, I hope he fails. That's like praying for the, the airline captain to crash on the plane that we're all sitting on. <laughs> kind of exactly it. So, yeah, Davos, Hillary, it's all just fucking tied together. These people, the International Monetary Fund, all of these fucking people have this great idea for how you should live your life. In fact, this was on the Davos website. And this was written by uh, a politician. Her name is Ida Aachen. She's a member of parliament in Denmark. And I'm going to read you her little essay that she wrote for the Davos 2017 World Economic Forum. Welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. The article is part of the annual meeting of the Global Futures Councils. Okay. This is part of the Global Future Events Councils. What I stuck in the chat is something called, what if Privacy becomes a luxury good, and that's a video you can watch at your leisure. Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or I should say our city. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all of these things became free, so it ended up not making much sense for us to own much. 
first, communication became digitized and free to everyone. Then when clean energy became free, things started to move quickly. Transportation dropped dramatically in price. It made no sense for us to own cars anymore because we could call a driverless vehicle or flying car for longer journeys within minutes. We started transporting ourselves in a much more organized and coordinated way when public transport became easier, quicker, and more convenient than the car. Now I can hardly believe that we accepted congestion and traffic jams, not to mention the air pollution from combustion engines. What were we thinking? Sometimes I use my bike when I go to see some of my friends. Well, if you don't own anything, how do you have a bike? I enjoy the exercise and the ride. It kind of gets the soul to come along on the journey. Funny how some things never seem to lose their excitement. Walking, biking, cooking, drawing, and growing plants. It makes perfect sense and remind us how our culture emerged out of a close relationship with nature. Environmental problems seem far away. In our city, we don't pay any rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we do not need it. My living room is used for business meetings when I am not there. Once in a while, I will choose to cook for myself. It is easy. The necessary kitchen equipment is delivered to my door within minutes. Since tramp support became free, we stopped having all these things stuffed into our home. Why keep a pasta maker and a crepe cooker crammed into our cupboards? We can just order them when we need them. This also made the breakthrough of circular economy easier. When products are turned into services, no one has an interest in things with a short lifespan. Everything is designed for durability, repairability, and recyclability. The materials are flowing more quickly in our economy and can be transformed into new products pretty easily. Environmental problems seem far away since we only use clean energy and clean production methods. The air is clean, the water is clean, and nobody would dare touch the protected areas of nature because they constitute such value to our well-being. In the cities, we have plenty of green space and plants and trees all over. Um, plenty of green space and plants and trees all over. Why did this just jump? I'm sorry, that was me. I accidentally moved the tab. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, um, I'm sorry, Sam. That's okay. I do not understand why in the past we filled all the free spots in the city with concrete. The death of shopping. Shopping, I can't really remember what it is. For most of us, it has been turned into choosing things to use. Sometimes I find this fun, and sometimes I just want the algorithm to do it for me. It knows my taste better than I do by now. When AI and robots took over so much of our work, we suddenly had time to eat well, sleep well, and spend time with other people. The concept of rush hour makes no sense anymore, since the work we can do can be done at any time. I don't really know if I would call it work anymore. It's more like thinking time, creation time, and development time. For a while, everything was turned into entertainment and people did not want to bother themselves with difficult issues. It was only at the last minute we found out how to use all of these new technologies for better purposes than just killing time. They live different lives outside of the city. My biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city, the, those we lost on the way, those who decided it became too much, all this technology those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and AI took over big parts of our jobs, those who got upset with the political system and turned against it. They live different kind of lives outside of the city. Some have formed little self-supplying communities. Others just stayed empty and abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. Once in a while, I get annoyed about the fact that I have no real privacy, nowhere I can go and not be registered. I know that somewhere everything I do think and dream is recorded. I just hope nobody will use it against me. 
all in all, it's a good life, much better than the path we're on, where it became so clear that we could not continue with the same model of growth. We had all of these terrible things happening, lifestyle diseases, climate change, the refugee crisis, environmental degradation, completely congested cities, water pollution, air pollution, social unrest, and unemployment. We lost way too many people before we realized we could do things differently. I, um, yeah. So I guess this sounds Hunger Games-esque to me. Am I the yeah. only one? Am I the only one that got that feeling from it? I, I really understand they think they have a better model of the world. I don't think that they do. Barry, any thoughts on this? Uh, not hugely, but yeah, it's yes, it's very dystopian future. Uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, it it it's it's the snow that people don't want. We, we we all want the Game of Thrones snow, not the Hunger Games <laughs> snow. Um, <laughs> True that. But Absolutely. yeah, <laughs> these people are just. I don't get it. Pick a story, and somebody pick one. These people make me crazy. Um, about mystery hackers blow up secret NSA. All right, so back to the usual, privacy and technology. <laughs> Mystery hackers blow up secret NSA hacking tools in a final fuck you. A gang of elite hackers, believed by many to be Russian, say they're quitting just as Donald Trump gets ready to enter the Oval Office. A mysterious hacking group has been bedeviling U.S. intelligence communities for months, releasing, releasing a tranche of secret National Security Agency hacking tools to the public while offering to sell even more for the right price. Now, with barely a week to go before Donald Trump's inauguration, the self-styled shadow brokers on Thursday announced that they were packing it in. So long, farewell peoples. The shadow brokers is going dark, making exit, the group wrote on its darknet site. Continuing is being much risk and bullshit, not many bitcoins. The message was accompanied by a parting gift, described by the group as a final fuck you. An apparently complete NSA backdoor kit targeting the Windows operating system. The kit is comprised of 61 malicious Windows executables, only one of which was previously known to antivirus vendors. The shadow brokers emerged in August with the announcement that they'd stolen the hacking tools used by a sophisticated computer intrusion operation known as the Equation Group and were putting them up for sale to the highest bidder. It was a remarkable claim because the Equation Group is generally understood to be part of the NSA's elite tailored access operations program and is virtually never detected, much less penetrated. The Equation Group was in a sense the rough equivalent to the Russian Cozy Bear crew, now blamed for the DNC hacks, except the American hackers operated for at least 14 years as virtual ghosts until 2015, when Russia-based cybersecurity firm Kaspersky Labs gathered enough evidence to prove that they exist. It soon emerged that the shadow brokers really had the goods. Released along with the announcement was a huge cache of specialized malware, including dozens of backdoor programs and 10 exploits, two of them targeting previously unknown security holes in Cisco routers, a basic building block of the internet. While Cisco and other companies scrambled for a fix, security experts poured over the shadow broker's tranche like it was the Rosetta Stone. 
it was the first time as threat intelligence professionals that we've had access to what appears to be a relatively complete toolkit of a nation-state attacker, says Jake Williams, founder of Rendition InfoSec. It was excitement in some circles, dismay in other circles, and panic in a rush to patch if you're running vulnerable hardware. Virtually nobody, though, believed the shadow brokers claimed that they were mere hackers trying to sell the exploits for a quick fortune. For one thing, the group had released far more material for free than necessary to prove their bona fides, and the mechanics of their Bitcoin auction were laughable. Losing bidders, the group said, would not get their money back. Shadow brokers would release the whole cachet to the public for the arbitrary Dr. Evil-esque price of 1 million Bitcoins, nearly 600 million at the time. The group later broke down the hacking tools into a revised a la carte buy it now price list, but the prices weren't low enough to attract buyers. As of Thursday, the shadow brokers had pulled in a total of 10 bitcoins. In an email interview with the Daily Beast earlier this week, the shadow brokers expressed frustration that they weren't getting rich off the code and hinted they might be retiring soon. Many rich hackers, many rich hacker companies, 100k, 100 million, 10 million, 100 million, that's ridiculous, is pennies to the right peoples. The right peoples who not caring about the money. The right peoples just caring about cool shit. Equation group, really cool shit. Equation group, really cool shit, only the shadow brokers is selling. The group also explained that they are not activists, and they give away the initial tranche of files purely as a marketing move, not for a silly cause. Douchebags use causes for trying to get laid. <clears throat> the shadow brokers is getting plenty laid. No need for douchebaggery. Leaving that to those straight men looking, acting like gay men, thinking called hipsters. The most popular shadow brokers' theories in computer security and intelligence circles have nothing to do with money or getting laid. In one, the shadow brokers is an NSA insider gone rogue. On another, it's the Russian government. Last year, the FBI investigated and arrested NSA contractor named Hal Martin, who had allegedly been illegally stockpiling agency secrets in his house. But as Martin cooled his heels in federal custody, the shadow brokers continued to post messages and files, and the rogue insider theory withered. The more persuasive story, supported by no less than Edward Snowden, is that the shadow brokers are one of the same Russian government hacking groups now accused of targeting the U.S. election. Consistently, the same day the shadow brokers said goodbye, the hacker who claimed responsibility for penetrating the DNC suddenly reemerged after nearly two months of si silence. In the spy versus spy world of hacks and counterhacks, both the U.S. and Russia sometimes lose their code to the other side. This risk is unavoidable because NSA malware has little value sitting safely on an agency's classified network. Just as a spy plane must fly, even at the risk of being shot down and reverse engineered, the NSA exploits must be fired at target networks to be of use. This backdoor implants must be installed in other people's servers. As the first step in this process, the NSA sets up its tools on a special staging server in the, on the internet, machines that are owned, leased, or otherwise controlled by the U.S., but with no connection to the NSA. From there, the individual programs are smuggled to wherever they're needed. The Russians could have traced the U.S. hacking campaign back to one or more of these staging servers and collected the massive shadow brokers' cache. Under this theory, the shadow brokers were part of a tit-for-tat in the intelligence world. The group emerged just as the U.S. began confronting Russia over its election hacking and then seemed to release its secrets in time with the public thrusts and parries between the two countries. On December 15th, for example, Obama announced to NPR that the U.S. would retaliate for the election hacks. We need to take action. On the 16th, the shadow brokers broke six weeks of silence to publish a tweet storm of screenshots showing off its unreleased NSA files. The message, Russia would do to the NSA what it was doing to the Democratic Party. 
that would dump sensitive stolen files to the internet while hiding behind just enough of a cover story so it can maintain its public deniability. Now with the new friendly administration coming in, Vladimir Putin may be pressing the reset button. Timing is interesting, said Williams. The shadow brokers, though, insist they have nothing to do with global affairs. Shadow brokers is dumbasses thinking found golden tickets sitting on server and just wanting to cash out without dying or going to prison. Shadow brokers is wanting to win an exit. Starting to look like epic fail. The shadow brokers are still proud of very large balls for taking risk. It's not many people staying the same. Mostly cattle fed just enough by masters. Anybody? Yeah, it's all good fun. Like I said, everybody's been hacking everybody else since the internet got invented. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's nice to know that, you know, exploits are actually being patched. That's that's a good thing. Yeah. Good thing. They want way too much money for that shit, though. Yeah, it was deliberate. Yeah. They weren't expecting to get any money. It's, it's, it's a usual hacker thing in some ways. They just want the attention. <laughs> Well, they got plenty of that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I just, I don't care who did it. I don't. I just, I think it's funny. It's sad that I just think it's it's funny. It's information wars. As I say, everybody's hacking everybody else. It's all about controlling the flow of information. So, yeah, this is going to, stories like this are going to be happening all the time for the rest of human history. <laughs> well, yep. as long as computers exist, anyway. Well, yeah. So, do you want to pick one? Oh, in honour of Jeannie, <laughs> since she's not here. Let, let's go TSA. Ah, uh, alright. So, let me, good lord. How many stories did I stick on here this week? There were plenty of them, you guys. There seemed to be a few, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I and I only put two up about Davos because I didn't want to sound crazy. Or, I didn't want to sound crazy -er. Um. So, yeah, it's going to take me a little while to scroll up for this. I don't think people realize how big these are. Did you realize how big these were before you got one, Jeremy? Um... No. <laughs> Although I, I do have to admit, I think this one is the largest of the yeah. three or four that I've gotten a hold of. Yeah. No. It 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 is. It's it's pretty big. Okay. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to edit as you're reading. No. You know what's really sad? You're editing, and this is word for word how these stories appeared. The, re yeah, the reason. I, the reason ahead. I. The reason I keep these is because a lot of times these stories will go dark after we do them. And I like having the initial link and the proof of life. <laughs> yeah, I occasionally right. have to do, do spelling corrections because it gets on my nerves. It, it and you're like, this appeared at... in a newspaper? <laughs> it's like, yeah, really? They don't, they, don't, they don't have editors anymore. They don't. And you can tell some of this shit looks like a bot wrote it. It well, does. a bot did write some of it, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course it did. Government blasts TSA for withholding information. The TSA is abusing its power to withhold information from the public in order to avoid criticism, according to the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General John Roth. 
and a year-end review of security issues surrounding the Transportation Security Administration's computers and equipment at the nation's airports. Roth complained that TSA wanted information redacted and had already been made public in previous reports. In a letter to TSA Administrator Peter Neffenger, Roth said the TSA security review of a draft of a report review resulted in redactions that were unjustifiable. I can only conclude that the TSA is abusing its stewardship of the sensitive security information program, Roth said to Neffinger. Roth produced a list of items he said had appeared in earlier audits but were redacted in the summary report. Among those Roth listed was a TSA request to redact information about a number of high vulnerabilities, as well as a number of critical high vulnerabilities involving computer service security at San Francisco International Airport. TSA, however, allowed that same information to appear in a May 7, 2015 report. None of these redactions will make us safer and simply highlight the inconsistencies and arbitrary nature of decisions that the TSA makes regarding SSI information, Ross said. This episode is more evidence the TSA <clears throat> cannot be trusted to administer the program in a reasonable manner. Roth added, inconsistency and inappropriately marking information in our reports by sensitive impedes our ability to issue reports to the public that are transparent without unduly restricting information. Although Roth included the redactions in his year-end report in order to meet deadlines, his letter to Neffinger said it serves as our formal direct appeal to the administrator of the TSA to remove the above-listed redactions. Michael England, a national spokesman for the TSA, told the AMI while the agency is committed to a strong and collaborative working relationship with DHS Inspector General, the TSA stands by its determination with respect to identifying sensitive information that should not be released to the public. England said one of the TSA's fundamental principles of information security is that some information may be releasable when considered alone, but may be harmful when released if aggregated with other similar information. England said the TSA will work directly with the OIG to address specific concerns raised in his letter, as well as the appropriate process for raising those concerns. An independent government watchdog was less confident of the TSA's willingness to change its ways. Because of action, intrusive Vice President John Bishoni told AMI that Roth's letter demonstrates how agencies abuse redactions and arbitrarily withhold information in order to prevent the public from learning about their actions. Bishoni said his organization had found redactions like those used by the TSA to be ubiquitous and are part of a continued pattern of agencies in the outgoing administration ignoring the advice of inspectors general and obscure, obscurating transparency. Roth also said that TSA's problems with redacting information were well-documented. They pointed to a 2014 report from the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform that Roth said implicated the TSA of engaging in a pattern of improperly designating certain information as sensitive <coughs> sorry, in order to avoid its public release because of agency embarrassment and hostility to congressional oversight. Their report said career servants of the TSA's Office of Sensitive Security Information make recommendations for what kind of information should be redacted in public reports. But final authority for determining whether an item is redacted rests with the TSA administrator, a political appointee. The committee report said the growing use of redactions has a profound impact on public access and called for strict enforcement of rules governing the use of such designations in order to prevent abuse and maximize public access to government information, which I haven't noticed things getting clearer and clearer every year when it comes to more government. Has anybody else? 
No, if anything, it gets just gets more obfuscated. Yep, it gets murkier and murkier. And in this Pretty case, soon, like the story what? says, uh, this just when you thought the TSA couldn't get more incompetent, they go ahead and go <laughs> get more incompetent. It's like already released information, and they want to redact it. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, no one ever accused these guys of being really smart. I'll say that for them. They're not really smart. They're, in fact, you know, big dumbasses. But, you know, whatever. Hey, so they the get to hackers probably don't need to bother out. with the TSA because, well, it's a mess in there. Uh, they'd never find anything. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Okay. Let's see. What do I want to talk about? Um, okay, you've probably never heard of this creepy genealogy site, but it knows a lot about you. Early Tuesday morning, Hannah Britton got a text from her sister. Did she know about FamilyTreeNow.com? The relatively unknown site, which presents itself as a free genealogy resource, seemed to know an awful lot about her. The site listed my three- and five-year-olds as possible associates. Britton, a 30-year-old adult fiction writer in Birmingham, Alabama, told the Washington Post on Tuesday. Her sister, a social worker who works at a child advocacy center, found the site while doing regular internet footprint checkups on herself. Given the danger level of my sister's occupation, Britton added, the depth of information available on the genealogy site scared me to death. There are many people search sites and data brokers out there like Spoko or Intellis that also know a lot about you. This is not news, at least for the internet literate, and the information on FamilyTree.now, FamilyTreeNow.com, comes largely from public records and other legally accessible sources that those other data brokers use. What makes FamilyTreeNow stand out on the creepy scale though is how easy the site makes it for anyone to access that information all at once and free profiles on family tree now include age birth months family members addresses and phone numbers for individuals in their system if they have them it also guesses at their possible associates on a public accessible permanently linkable page it's possible to opt out but not clear whether doing so actually removes you from their records or more likely, simply hides your record so it's no longer accessible to the public. Unusually, for a site like this, Family Tree Now doesn't require a fee or even the creation of an account to access those detailed profiles, assuming, of course, that person hasn't already opted out. LexisNexis, for instance, can also aggregate tons of public records to create an in-depth profile of a person, but that service is cost-prohibitive to most people who don't have access to the site through an institutional subscription. Sure, a free database aggregating thousands of U.S. records could be beloved by genealogy hobbyists across the country, but the site is also extremely useful to those who might want to harass or physically harm someone else. And that, it seems, is what's freaking a lot of people out about it. After reading the text from her sister, Britton pulled up her own profile and immediately opted out of having her information included on the site. Then she composed tweets warning others and providing detailed instructions on how to do the same. The top of her thread on Family Tree Now had thousands of retweets by the end of the day. Similar warning about Family Tree Now also popped up on Enough is Enough and Survive the Streets this week, both popular Facebook groups about law enforcement officer safety. 
one post which began officer safety alert warned that the site could be used by individuals who want to target the families of police officers. The post had more than 10,000 shares by Wednesday morning. As Snopes noted, the site doesn't specifically note whether an individual is a member of law enforcement or not. Several Washington Post reporters checked their own listings on the site in response to those warnings. The listings largely appeared to be thorough and accurate, although not perfect in every case. My listing had accurate home addresses going back several years, my correct age and birth month, linked to names, ages, and profiles of my family members, and also flagged two possible associates for me. People Family Tree now believed might be connected to me somehow based on its aggregation of public records. Those possible associates were my former roommate and my ex-boyfriend. I also opted out. Within an hour of doing that, my listing was no longer accessible. You can still see that there's a listing for me on familytreenow.com when you search my name, but it doesn't actually let you click on it to learn more. It isn't clear whether opting out eventually removes your personal information from their database or that it just prompts the site to block access to it. If you'd like to opt out, by the way, here is where you go and follow the prompts. Uh, some of my colleagues had trouble getting their opt-out requests to go through the first time, and it seems there's a cap on how many records you can opt out of in a single day. Others had trouble trying to get an opt-out to work on a mobile and had to switch to a desktop. The site said those listings will go away within 48 hours. Opting out of FamilyTreeDial.com is a good way to start any sort of internet privacy checkup, but it's worth noting that it's just that start. There's a lot more work you'd have to do to get control of your personal information on the internet. Journalist Julie uh, Agwin compiled an exhaustive list of all the data brokers she could find a couple of years ago and tried to opt out of having her information included in each of their databases. Fewer than half of the 212 data brokers she identified accepted requests for opt-outs she wrote in a blog post that gives detailed instructions on how to remove yourself from many of these services. I tried to reach Dustin Warwick, the Sacramento-based entrepreneur who listed himself as the founder of FamilyTreeNow.com on his LinkedIn page and is the only manager listed in California Public Records for Family Tree Now LLC. I hoped that speaking to him would help me understand why this database was created in the first place. Oric or any representative of the site did not respond to an email request for comment to multiple addresses associated with Family Tree Now or one other listed businesses. One listed a phone number with a business associate that with Warwick went to a generic Google voicemail. Additional phone numbers listed for Warwick appeared to be disconnected. Over the course of Tuesday, Warwick's LinkedIn page and Family Tree Now profiles also became inaccessible to the public. Based on its internet history and public records, the company appears to be a few years old. One complaint about its living database goes back to 2015, for instance. The site has a Twitter account and Facebook page. Both appear to have been inactive for some time. Although Family Tree Now isn't unique, the timing of Britain's warning about the site, along with the depth and accessibility of the information available to people there, really hit a nerve with a lot of people who saw it. Okay. Holy shit. Um, I just pulled him on. <laughs> Britain said that she'd gotten a lot of replies, particularly from people in their teens and 20s, expressing shock it was even possible for people to access basic information like this. Her warning may have resonated, she guessed, because people are on edge about online abuse right now. Online trolls have lurked in the underbelly of the internet since ever, she said. Okay. So, yeah. There's that. So, yeah, you can go. So, tell me what you found on yours. Um, this thing has a residence of mine going back to 1991. Hmm. 
worth opting out, you think? Yeah, except I kind of want to use some of this information to track down people I've lost touch with. <laughs> All right. All right. I guess I understand that. Now you know why most of Europe has a Data Protection Act. Well, <laughs> now you know why, like, if you see a picture of me on the internet is, like, rarer than hen's teeth, now you know why. Yeah, yeah Deadpool's the only current picture I've seen. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And that's the first picture I've put up in 10 years. But yeah, pe people people hard. have been very blase and still are about sharing loads of information all over the internet. And now it's coming, now, now they're finally getting scared. It's like, yeah. most of the stuff you put on there, it's your own fault. Well, I mean, the thing that's always kind of freaked me out, I mean, because you've seen me. I've, I've gone and found sites that will, like, they'll let you install an app. And you can uninstall it and delete all your information. And it will show you, like, for instance, what Facebook knows about you. Facebook yeah. knows shit about me. The only thing it knows about me is my work schedule. Yeah, Facebook and Google. Yeah, when I bring up their, their caches on me, it's usually interestingly blank. Um, yep. Oh, here's There's a good a one for you, actually. That. This relates to internet okay. security. Mm -hmm. So I'm on a page you go contract well not a contract pay as you go mobile phone right for my smartphone and a few weeks ago the app that the company provides so you can keep a check on your minutes and data usage and all that stopped working mm -hmm. I, I wasn't really that bothered it was over christmas and new year right. but i got the new phone mm -hmm. and it still doesn't work so i spent time yeah. getting angry at customer services for the company in question who kept sending me to the wrong places and giving me the wrong information, and they didn't fix the problem. Right. Found out online, it's because the company in question, the app won't run on my phone because I have rooted my phone. And they say, that's a security risk. We don't want our app running on that phone. I'm like, Rooting is so a security I rooted, well, it is if you don't know what you're doing. Right. But I rooted my phone to add full security suite stuff to make my phone more secure than standard for that software to run it needs to have full system access to the phone hence routing the phone but according to this uh, company who supply you know so <clears throat> let's just it's the largest mobile phone company in the uk but according to them oh yeah my phone's not secure enough to run their app mm -hmm. like, really so the fact that I installed decent antivirus, firewall, encryption, all this kind of stuff, makes my phone less secure. But that, that's what you're dealing with. It's a company has decided, in this case, a company has decided to take a stand. They're right in some ways. Somebody rooting their phone who doesn't know what they're doing is fucking it up. Right. But that's not what I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. And plus, they're a service supplier. Why are they getting to tell people what they can use their phone for? They should be just be there to supply the data, minutes, and text messages. What yep. people do with that is nothing to do with them unless it's a crime. Mm -hmm. Since this isn't a crime, why are they doing it? 
But yeah, in general, it, back to the main point. Yeah, stop sharing information online that you don't have to. Yeah. Only share it with secure websites, and make yeah. sure to check for those little ticky boxes that say you don't want third parties using the information you're providing. Mm-hmm. Although I believe in the US, it. most of your websites don't even have to have that. So yeah. Because you've got yeah. no data protection act, so yeah. Yeah, well. Uh, over here, if a company like this, uh, what was it? Free, what was it called? Free f- Family Tree now. Yeah. Right. If I went on there, if they I mean, there are genealogy sites in the UK. If I went on there, and there's information mm-hmm. about me, I could send them a message. Remove yep. that. And they have to do it. If they don't, they're in deep shit. <laughs> Same okay. with any well, information anywhere in the UK. If they hold information on you, one, they have to let you see it. Mm-hmm. And two, if you don't want it there, they have to remove it. And that doesn't apply with your snoopers charter. No, but then yeah. they're... There, there are counterbalances to the snoopers charter people can't just go in and read it all um, well, uh, they have to have they still have to have a judge say yes go look at that record yeah and yeah, yeah it, don't know how exactly it's going to work since it hasn't technically started yet but well, oh boy I'm... they better be encrypting really well <laughs> well you know what's really funny when the NHS moved all their information online, yeah. you might remember this. <laughs> How many people were able to just go on the servers and access that? Yeah. So trusting the government to be in charge of oh, information. Really bad with computers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're really well, bad with okay. computers. Most of the government, of any government, is really bad with computers. It's only the specialists that are good with computers. Yeah, and so none of them the people are that we have in our government people. that are good with computers all work in that funny shape weird building outside London. Um, oh, you mean the one that looks like Iron Man's? Uh, yeah, yeah, Iron Man's heart. There looks like anything other than that's where all the secrets in the world are kept. Yeah, I mean, look at that huge freaking data center they built in Utah. I mean, yeah, we've talked about that before, though. That's partly a huge distraction since the FBI have similar but done on cloud servers. Oh, sure. But I mean, all that information on you. Yeah, it's in data centers, Utah. Yeah, it's on cloud servers. Probably. I'm thinking Amazon, Google, both of them have a lot of. Well, since they have the most online storage of anybody, yeah, yeah, they've probably got everything. Yeah, oh, they've got everything on everybody. Mm -hmm. If you use Google in any way whatsoever, they will have record of it. Oh, yeah. They know who you are. They know what you're looking at. When I say, when I look at the caches of stuff about me, it's minimal. Mm -hmm. And yet again, Google are quite good. Uh, There is a thing you can... Go to uh, have the data wiped. What I can uh, tell you is from public like, face, anyway. So right, yeah. I think what's really interesting about Google um, is when we got to see their national security letters, and when we got to see it, a lot of the the initial hackers that moved to Germany. Yeah, um, we got to see a couple of years ago when 
the government was requesting their email stuff, exactly how much money Google spent keeping that information from the government. Yeah. So it's really funny. It's like there's at at Google, which is now Alphabet. Yes. It's like there is four or five different things, and and one is pro government, and one is pro privacy, and it's really weird to see. I wonder which one will win, and it's probably the pro government. It usually wins all the time. Yeah. Oh, Michael Morrison chat. Anyone who's bought it now owns your DNA test. I that, don't. That story broke last week about the DNA yeah. tests being everywhere. They're selling them all over the place to third parties. So yeah. Yeah, I've never had my DNA tested. I know. Yeah, we, I think we didn't, didn't we do a story on that last week or week before? I think so. Yeah. yeah and I mentioned yet again Data Protection Act. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if they do that in the UK, they can end up in jail. Uh. Yeah. I just, all I can tell you is, I'm, I think if you want to read something interesting about how you don't own your own medical data, I'm going to recommend a book called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And you'll get to see all the medical breakthroughs that came from this woman's cancer cells and how hurtful it is that you don't own your own medical and genetic information. Your genome is not your own, which is pretty fucking twisted. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I have, I've got friends who did sent off for one of these, you know, DNA test companies. Dumbasses. And, and I pointed out to them, uh, you do know you've just handed all your personal information to a company that will sell it to anyone who asks. Oh, no. They're like, no what? No, they're not allowed to do that. It's like, yes, they are. Where was the company? U.S. Exactly. Not covered by the Data Protection Act. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it uh, pretty fucked up. Okay, I think this is story number six. Not eggs from skin cells. Here's why the next fertility technology will open Pandora's box. Experts warn a potential IVF breakthrough could have unintended social consequences. Imagine your Brad Pitt. See, I'm never going to be able to imagine that, but okay. As you stay one night in the red, someone sneaks in and collects some skin cells from your pillow. But that's not all. Using a novel fertility technology, your movie star cells are transformed into sperm and used to make a baby. And now someone is suing you for millions in child support. Such a seemingly bizarre scenario could actually be possible, say, three senior medical researchers who today have chosen to alert the public to the social risks of vitrogamogenesis, a technique they say could allow any type of cell to be reprogrammed into a sperm or egg. The technology has already been documented and demonstrated in mice by Japanese scientists and is likely to be extended to humans soon, according to the authors of an editorial in Science Translational Medicine, warn that it can open a Pandora's box of vexing policy changes and ethical dilemmas. The technology's promise is that it could be used to create inexhaustible supplies of eggs for a given woman. That would be revolutionary advance for IVF, allowing women to become pregnant even if, because of age or some other reason like cancer, they have no viable eggs. For women who are infertile, this is a boon. It will probably disrupt in vitro fertilization as we know it, says Eli Adashi, a professor of medical science at Brown University. Women can't just produce eggs on demand. Hadashi is one of the editorial's three co-authors, along with George Daly, 
a stem cell biologist and dean of Harvard Medical School, and Glenn Cohen, a bioethicist and professor at Harvard Law School. But an endless supply of eggs could also open the door to high-tech eugenics. For example, it's possible it could someday allow IVF clinics to manufacture hundreds of embryos and then choose those with the most desirable qualities, like 20-20 vision or a chance of a high IQ. This technique may raise the specter of embryo farming on a scale currently unimagined, write the authors. Combined with rapidly advancing gene editing techniques like CRISPR, in vitro gamogenesis could also conceivably allow scientists to edit out some inherited diseases or install new traits. These technologies could allow you to get closer to the vision of perfection in children, say Cohen. The technology of lab-made gamocytes might even throw the ethical debate over when life begins into a new light. If any type of tissue cell holds the same potential for life that an egg or sperm does, does this mean we'll have to think differently about our skin cells? So, yeah. Technology, not the be-all, end-all. Well, I, I said it like... in chat. Clone army, anybody? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how precedent uh, science fiction winds up being. Well, that particular thing in science fiction. Um, mm-hmm. has been going, funnily enough, almost as long as science fiction. Because, yeah, eugenics has been around a while, let's face it. Um, oh, well, so, yeah. eugenics brought to you by the lovely state of California. Yeah, well, mm, earlier yes. than that, even. But Earlier than that, but don't forget, they they shipped their ideas wholesale to the Germans. No, 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 all the original eugenics ideas started in the 17th century, believe it or not. Oh, but yeah. I understand that, but you you do understand what I'm talking about. Where when, when, when our scientists, our, our quote-unquote scientists, our, birth, our megalomaniacs were yeah. writing the papers here, and the people in Germany were reading it going, ooh, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, but I mean, you know. all, all that sort of stuff stems back to the birth of modern medicine back in the 17th century. But it's not just medicine. But, it's yeah. also it also goes back to that idea that some of the elites had that they feared that there was not enough space, there was not enough resources on the planet for anybody. Well, they are oh, right, okay. but yeah, okay, some of the other ideas are yeah. <clears throat> fair, fair enough. Okay. There, but there is enough space. I mean, you know, no one wants to hear it. You could cram. Not that you'd want to, but you could cram pretty much the entire population into Texas if you build enough high-rises, you know, and leave the rest of the planet to just hey, do what it's hey, going to hey. do. Shouldn't, shouldn't traditionally it be further up the coast on the East Coast? Well, I, I understand say, you that, know, but I'm... Mega City One-ish type area. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was actually looking. You know it's creepy? Um, it, and I don't spend a lot of times... I spent a lot of time actually reading things like the Diversion series um, and the Hunger Games, which the Hunger Games about broke me reading those books. They're pretty bad. But I read a lot of this stuff, um, not because I enjoy it, um, probably because I'm paranoid, but also because I like to look at what people take with policy. Um, The Hunger Games... If you look at the maps of what the Hunger Games world looks like, the Hunger Games looks a lot like the maps that uh, the the um, UN has released for, you know, their 2030 plans. 
yeah. of where they want to have all this free space. They don't want human beings here. So here's these mega cities where people have everything. And then here's these little areas over here in like Tennessee where there's going to be logging. And here um, in Alabama where there's going to be coal mining. And then here in Texas where there's going to be a fishery. And here in Florida where there's going to be produce growing. Um, and the world of the Hunger Games looks a lot like that. Um, the Divergent series <laughs> looks a lot like those maps too. It it really is some some creepy shit. Um, Divergent series has even got all the eugenics stuff in there for you as well. So, yes, yeah. it does. So yeah, but yeah, I haven't I haven't particularly read I haven't read those either of those series because well, it's all based on stuff from older science fiction. Well, it, just it spruced is. up and made pretty for the teen audience kind of thing because uh, right, yeah i mean I, i've read vonnegut heinlein arthur I c clark i've got it right you, back I'm, to ee e. doc smith and the mm-hmm. whole history of it they just keep, gotta, people keep repeating yeah. the same stories with new but trendy gotta, modern sure. stuff in but i've got to say i love heinlein um heinlein really influenced my political thinking which I guess you could tell. Well, if if you read Heinlein and Vonnegut and it doesn't mm-hmm. open up your mind, there's something really, really wrong with you. Well, Heinlein makes me think that, you know, if you think, if you trust the government, you're crazy, first of all. And if you think they're out to do anything for the common good, you are absolutely out of your mind. And that anything they want is something you really don't want. So, yeah, Highland has probably done the most to influence me politically out of any science fiction writer. Oh, and do you know that the, the, these writers we have just talked about mm-hmm. don't tend to get any time in schools, oddly enough? Well, why would that be? Yeah. I mean, even, <laughs> even, I mean, I went to school in the 80s mm-hmm. and it was a lot more open then uh, but yeah. most of the decent reading I did was at home it wasn't anything we're told about at school yeah. school no. was Shakespeare and all that kind of stuff and some um, you know, some more modern stuff but so see, all, all, I, all, I, the, all the seminal reading I did was at home <laughs> you know what's really weird I think out of everybody here I had the most progressive schooling when I say progressive, I literally mean progressive because the only I paid to go to a private school because yeah. I knew the educational system, the regular public educational system was so dismal, I was going to be a dullard if I didn't get out. And I knew that at like 15. So I paid to go to a private school. And I had the most, I would say, progressive teaching of anybody I knew. We didn't learn constitutional history. We didn't learn any of that stuff. We didn't learn anything about the founding of the country. Um, Some of my history classes were women's studies. Um, You know, the history of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, history of communism. So I had a really well-rounded education, except I knew nothing about the history of my own country. All of that I learned as I turned 30 um, because I wanted to. I've had a pretty good education all the way around. So I've learned, and, and that's why I say all the time, I don't just read anything that's based in one bias. No. I love technology news. 
that is always biased to the left, right? But it's always biased to the left. It's always written for a left-leaning thinking person. It always is. It always will be. I am not left-leaning at all. I'm straight middle of the road. So I'll read publications from the right and publications from the left, and I'll find really interesting things in all of them. And I think I'm well-rounded. I think society would do better to be well-rounded as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had people ask me, oh, do you know a good, a good book about subject X? And I go, no. <laughs> but there are these books about subject X. If you read all of them and take, you know, combine the ideas from all of them, because obviously different writers have different perspectives, that'll give you an idea of that particular subject. Yeah. You can't just read one book and then go, oh, yeah, this, this, this. It's like, no, no, yeah. no, 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 that's just that guy's opinion. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Although I, I, it's in some areas, things are better than they used to be. In some countries, um, for <laughs> instance, somebody asked me about, oh, have you got? Do you know a good book about the history of Scotland? And there, I could help them. I could even mm -hmm. give them a TV show to watch, which is people <laughs> always prefer these days, because oh, yeah. BBC did Video. a quite comprehensive oh, yeah. history of Scotland thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not the airy-fairy, all-pretty history like people get taught in schools and all that kind of stuff. It was it, it was brutal. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the closest to the truth you're probably going to get. So and yeah, it, watch that, read the book, you know. And that's the hard thing. That's the hard thing about all of this. Do, do you, you do realize people automatically assume I lean to the left. Or I lean to the right. Mm -hmm. There's not a day that goes by that somebody doesn't call me either a Republican or a Democrat in one conversation or another. And it's like, I'm neither, though. I, I just usually get called crazy. Uh... I I would I would settle for crazy. No, <laughs> see, I'd, I'd, I'd describe you as an organized anarchist. I am an anarchist. I mean, that's, that's not even... That's not even a joke. I am. I think we'd do better without anybody being in charge of the doghouse. I mean, and that's just after years of watching, like, my dad and my brothers go into the military and what they came out like, um, or seeing what VA coverage really looks like for somebody who has cancer, like with my dad, or, you know what I mean? It, it's it's seeing what these institutions are supposed to be like, what our ideals are, and then seeing what they really are. Um, my father probably most influenced me like this. He came out of the military, and when I was a teenager, he sat down and he said, here, I want you to read this. And it was a book called War is a Racket. If you know anything about American history, you know that the person who wrote that was a very left-leaning person who left the military as a five-star general and was very, very well respected and went around telling people that all of the wars that I've been involved in have been for protection of business and have had nothing to do with freedom or democracy. And these are things that I think we instinctively know, but choose to ignore. Um, and I know some people can't do without government but I know I could. Now, it, it's a really weird thing. 
Well, yeah, I mean, the, the reason why people tend to end up calling me crazy is I had an incredibly liberal upbringing. Uh, but in a good way, my father, yet again, like you, ex-military. So mm -hmm. uh, he wanted me to experience and read and yeah. learn as much as I could. Mm -hmm. Consequently, my brain still does that. I truly am like a heuristic learning machine, which is what a human brain is. Yeah, well, I, it's what it's supposed I, to be. I, I don't know I what don't, it is today. <laughs> I don't settle on set facts. I think the science, I keep read, science I keep, I keep going back to the proven. same subjects and uh -huh. try and keep up with them so that I have yeah. the latest information. Because well, facts go stale, folks. Facts do. are the, not permanent. The science is never settled. Right? No. That's all I can tell And it's not just science. Science is never settled. History is never settled. Um, you know, I can remember one of the books I had to read in high school was A People's History by Howard Zinn. I don't know if anybody else has read that. Uh, no. But it, it's incredibly depressing. <laughs> I read that and I wanted to... I, I really, history books a, normally are, to be fair, if they're well, truthful. A, a People's History by Howard Zinn... Howard Zinn also really influenced me when he said that our problem was not civil disobedience, our problem was civil obedience. That that's what led us down the road that we're on politically. And he's right. You know, in the last eight years, I can remember when the left was anti-war, right? When Bush was in power. And then their guy gets in and does more war hawk-like things than any president has ever done. And they just turned a blind eye to it. And I, I'm kind of looking forward to, now that Trump's in, I'm looking forward to the anti-war left making a reappearance. I think that'll be a really good thing. That'll be a good thing for them to protest against because we don't need to be involved in all this shit everywhere. We need to take care of ourselves. First. Well, I mean, that that is one of his, his, his few claims so far <laughs> that is laudable he's basically well he said it in his uh, speech you know yeah. he, he, America we're not going to police the world anymore it's like well we good we learned that lesson a while ago well, uh, I mean, <laughs> the, the British used to do that got us in an awful lot of trouble so well, it, you, it, you lot took over after World War One. we were quite happy yeah, we, <laughs> yeah I mean I think I think it's I don't think we need a world government I think I think most people would be really happy with an anarchy you know what I mean mm -hmm. a government that provides services but is powerless to do much else police your coastline keep you from being attacked provide police and fire medical services and then fuck off I think everybody would be happy with that am I wrong no, well, I mean, yeah, you do have to have some order exactly. to yeah, tame exactly. the chaos that is life. But chaos is, you, you is can't let it kind of get too. You, you you can't let order be everything, which is what mm -hmm. most governments seem to want to try. Yeah, now, I, I don't think I, I'm a logical thinker, and order is good, but only up to a point. Yeah. I'm also I, a chaotic 
thinker. We've talked about this before. Yeah. yeah. My, my brain now, adapts to whichever problem it's working on at the time. So, yeah. See, now, when I when I played RPGs, I always played Chaotic Good. I played com random Chaotic completely, usually. <laughs> never. I was never attracted to Chaotic Neutral or, or any of that, although I think I am a neutral person. Uh, okay. My, my, my characters in RPG used to horrify most other players. Uh, I know, we've talked no. about them. <laughs> neutral, neutral rogue. Uh, yeah. Okay, does anybody want to pick a story or are you guys going to leave it all to me tonight? Somebody pick something. Hey, hey, I picked one earlier. I know you did. Somebody pick something. Mm, give me a there's, second. There's so much to pick from. Come on, you guys. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of the problems. <laughs> uh, so what, you want there's, like five stories? No, there's a lot of good meat and potato stuff here. Yeah, there is. I think it's hard because there are literally 40 to 50 pages of just text. It's This thing is a wall of text. U.S. Postal Service wants to hunt down dark web criminals? <laughs> okay. Okay, Which... Postal Service, you can't even deliver mail. <laughs> <laughs> But well, they've got good shorts. Yeah. Well, what they're really good at, though, is photographing your mail and sharing that with the government. So, thank God they got that. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> the U.S. Postal Service wants to hunt down dark web criminals. The FBI isn't the only U.S. law enforcement agency on the dark web. Considering that the digital drug trade relies on snail mail to transport goods, well, yeah. The U.S. Postal Inspection Service works on related investigations, too, and is now looking to expand its intelligence operations with more analysts. Oh, good. More intelligence analysts. Because that doesn't get anybody into trouble. Uh, USPIS is the law enforcement arm of the U.S. Postal Service. According to a recent job listing sent to the members of Information Security Community, USPIS has an opening for an investigative internet analyst to start as soon as possible. The investigator will use data from a number of sources, including open research and classified sources, too. The cybercrime program reviews network data, collects forensic images, researches tools and technologies, administers hardware and software, conducts online investigations into black market slash dark web activities affecting the USPS, its customers and employees, and another similar job listing for an intelligence gathering specialist reads. Quite a bit of... That was really badly written that last paragraph sorry about that quite a bit of the analyst role will center around investigating dark web markets judging by the description which looks for experience with the dark net the tor network and bitcoins the ultimate goal for much of this is to determine physical attribution of an internet identity the listing reads in other words unmasking someone online the listing also looks for other skills, such as analyzing research results using geographical techniques and using cyber intelligence tools to mine the open internet for information. The analyst shall be capable to use technology solutions to actively search, analyze, and prioritize the various marketplaces and cyber criminals to identify high-value targets for USPIS investigators. The listing reads, the USPIS has already provided assistance in various dark web investigations, including that of a man who had stolen information on the Alpha Bay marketplace in November's 2016 Operation Hyperion, which targeted dark web vendors around the world. 
on Tuesday, a Brooklyn man pleaded guilty. I just love how the story jumps. On Tuesday, a Brooklyn man pleaded guilty to distributing heroin by the dark web. The USPIS helped with that case, too. The USPIS isn't just growing because of booming dark web marketplaces, however. It's also in part for defensive reasons. The U.S. Postal Inspection Service's cybercrime program is expanding as a result of the intrusion experienced in 2014, which affected the Postal Service's enterprise network and infrastructure. Paul J. Crenn, National Public Information Officer for the USPS, told Motherboard in an email. In 2014, hackers broke into the USPS, compromising the personal information of more than 800,000 employees, the Washington Post reported at the time. As a result, the dark web, deep web, and open source internet information is an important position to the organization with better cybersecurity defenses, cybercrime information, knowledge of cyber threats, and cybercriminal activities, tactics, and practices. The cybercrime program believes that the information provided in these informational outlets will help prioritize cybercrime investigations toward those cybercriminals who are using the U.S. mail to facilitate crime and who are targeting postal service and its digital assets and infrastructure added well if they're targeting your infrastructure and your digital uh, assets they're probably going to go after all the money that congress is making you put aside to fund your pension program um i'm not saying that the dark web isn't iffy or dangerous or whatever but really i bet they're using family tree now <laughs> <laughs> And I don't understand how anybody can think that the dark web or the deep web, however you want to put it, is all entirely that secure. If the NSA is has the capacity to store, collect and store all cataloged, however many yada bytes of information that they have in that Utah repository, you can damn sure bet that they know everything that's going on. Just because they can't get you now doesn't mean they can't get you later for it. And then you can bet they're gonna they're gonna twist the statute of limitations to get you either way. Well, you see, you see, the USPIS just need to follow the example of the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA, <laughs> and when they really want to track somebody down, they just pay GCHQ to do it, because that's what they're really good at, or one of the things they're really good at. That's because we've had stories about that on here loads of times. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, our, our guys have been doing it longer, so we're more efficient at it. But, yeah, the dark... There's so much misinformation about the dark web. Um, well, the this dark is another web, one. They're like, ooh, the dark web. That, it's like, well, it's just something that's not really indexed by Google. Yeah, that's I all mean, it that's, is. That's all it is. <laughs> that's all the dark web is. And unfortunately, you know, people are accessing it through Tor, and Tor's been compromised for a long fucking time, y'all. Yeah. I wouldn't use Tor for fucking anything. Well, it, it was written by them, so yeah. Yeah. The alternative, well, you, I, I put you onto one of the alternative networks mm -hmm. uh, yes. quite a while ago. So, yes. Yeah. Network's lovely most of the time. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah. Apart from when hackers are trying to break it, but. Yeah. <laughs> that's, but that's hackers. That's probably are the like... Russians, the Americans, the UK, everyone <laughs> trying to break that particular. Um, the Five Eyes, yeah. Yeah. They're all. See, they're I all just want to look around. You know, it's really not as interesting as you think. No. It's boring as shit. There, it, it, Unless you know what things... you want to find. Yeah. It's quite pointless. 
<laughs> and and I've got to tell you what, whatever your expectations are, having looked at a normal website with a lot of JavaScript enabled and stuff, you're not going to find that there. Yeah, the dark web's kind of like how computing was twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's very stripped down. It's it's very. It's, it's post bulletin board experience. service but mm -hmm. pre-full internet kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. It's, no. it's not as good as dial-up. <laughs> Put it that way. Well, it loads fast. It loads fast. but It does yeah, load the, fast, what's but it on looks, there is, yeah. It looks terrible. It's all, it, it just, JavaScript has done a lot for putting things up. You know um, what I mean? But thankfully, it's also it, HTML5 is replacing it really fast because yeah. JavaScript's awful. It's really insecure. Right? Yeah. It's really insecure. I, I, I can't believe they didn't kill Java years ago. Honestly. With as insecure as it is. And it's really insecure. It's really bad. And I, what kind of cracks me up is I know all these people who have Android phones and they're like, well, an Android phone can't get a virus. I'm like, yes, yeah, it okay. <laughs> yes, it can. What are you, retarded? Yes, it can. If it's yes, electronic... It can be it yes, can get a virus. It can be compromised. You know, you you need antivirus software. You need to take the same precautions you do when you get on your computer at home, if not more. No, because yeah. if you're smart, that's at least wired to the fucking wall. Because when it's not, holy shit, you're just opening yeah, I've up got, a whole um, new I've got an app on my phone, for instance, that um, scans new Wi-Fi networks and tells me if they're actual Wi-Fi networks or networks just. Um, or yeah. Fake hotspots. Yeah. And, For data and, mining. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, and it's not just data mining. I mean, a lot of that stuff, we've talked about Finn Fisher. Um, yeah. you know, we've talked about Kingfisher. We've talked about um, we've talked about all that fun stuff. Was and it Greybox? IMSI catchers, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, That's I've, all I've, they are. I've linked to, John to some lovely them. software for smartphones. For yeah. Tracking the you know, illegal aerials and all that kind of I stuff. I mean, so, yeah. what is surprising is how many there are in Florida, but not really, because we have a big giant, we have a big giant military base down here, yeah. and everybody goes, "Well, that's just the Air Force." Fuck that, you. That particular app that is, is hilarious, though. You put Force. it on your phone, run it for a few days, and then you go, "Oh, look at all these aerials." Yeah. And it tells you which ones belong to which networks. Then you're like, "Oh, look!" And there's all the other ones that are unlisted. Yeah. I see. Don't it's, get that around where I am, but yeah. We did. We get it here, but like I said, where I am, we have a big, huge base up in Tampa. Yeah. Right. And this big, huge base up in Tampa has the It'll NSA, ring the CIA, yeah. the FBI, <laughs> you know, Air Force, Army, Navy, Marines, a whole bunch of alphabet agencies. I can't even discuss. Yeah, that that app is without being thrown you, into jail when you leave it running for so, a while. Yeah. Um, you know. Expecting them to not be everywhere down here is crazy. At least you don't have that so much where you are. Well, yeah, no, you know? no, there's nothing worth hacking where I live. So, yeah. The submarines. I mean, don't, don't. Oh no, no, no! They're they're over on the west coast. They're miles well, away. It's thirty miles away from where I am. Well, you know, the, where I am, it's, I'm outside of a first strike zone, which is really funny. Um, well, but I am just outside of first that. Strike that zone. was why my, my my one the one thing that yeah, if there's ever a nuclear war, moving mm -hmm. south the warmer weather was a really bad idea. 
because where I was born and lived until I moved mm -hmm. was right. probably one of the safest places in the UK <laughs> because the nearest strike target was 25 miles away and there's right. a mountain range in the way. So, <laughs> yeah, so we'd have been fairly safe. There'd have been a bit of nuclear fallout, but the wind normally blows the other way. So <laughs> we'd have been okay. So We're in our own little valley. So yeah. basically, you'd be the only thing that survived the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> well, yeah. If you if you remember from twenty eight days later, where did they go? The Scottish Highlands. Yes. <laughs> There's I really nothing up there. <laughs> I really liked the twenty eight days movies. Yeah. Oh, those were great as zombie movies. I mean, well, if you want a new classic, um, the girl with all the gifts. Oh, I heard that Ooh, was good. I did. You know, I I started to watch that, and the copy that I was watching was a uh, was a really dark, uh, grainy. Yeah, it was a it was like an uh, it was a camera copy. So mm -hmm. I'm just gonna wait until it hits as an HD rip, and then watch it again. But Blu-ray um, rips are already available. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> <Yippee>. I, <clears throat> um. So, so you know, another zombie movie I really liked because I don't do illegal things. Honest, go. Um, was Dead Snow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Am I the only one that liked that? I, I watched Come. nearly all films. Um. Come on. Dead Snow was great. <laughs> German dead zombies uh, yeah, yeah. in the Swiss. Look, Alps. it's based, How is that it's based on a book and a role playing game that's been around for ages. So yeah. I know, but I thought it was it was I thought it was good. Considering. I mean, you know, everybody's about to get away. Yeah, ain't nobody leaving. You ain't leaving with that fucking gold. That's zombie gold. That's Nazi. Well zombie yeah, yeah, gold. You, you, in which <laughs> case you definitely will like it, the girl with all the gifts. Yeah. It's it's I a actually, British film. Mm -hmm. None of these Hollywood endings. Mm -mm. <laughs> God, why do you? You guys, you guys are terrible. Like oh. I can't. My my when my we're more upbeat than the Swedes. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen when all their? Um, I mean, yeah. the the detective shows they produce. Yeah, and but the girl with the dragon that. tattoo oh. and all that kind of stuff. We're well, pretty good compared to that. Wasn't girl with it wasn't girl with the dragon tattoo. What the hell was, um, the movie? It was about the girl who was a vampire, but she she was really let really the right old. one in. Let the right one in. Not the remake. Was, the the original. No, yeah. the original. Very good. Yes. Very let me in. depressing. Yeah. But that was that was the remake, wasn't it? Let me in. Yes. It was the American remake? Um, and that yeah, was the, that, very the American very remake. The American remake was. Very fairly upbeat, considering. On on the other end of the scale, if you want a really enjoyable film, Troll Hunter. It's hilarious. Do you know what I saw at Christmas time? I saw the movie Krampus. All right. I was actually not bad. Oh, what's the what's the classic Christmas one from Scandinavia? Uh, exotic exports or something. I so one about don't. Santa Claus. It's really, really good. It's a horror film. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that's what it's called. Okay. It's something exports anyway. Good. I'll, okay. I'll look it up after. <laughs> All right. Okay, we've got... We don't have actually much time left, you guys. 
Oh yeah, twenty-five minutes. Yeah, Aww. I know. I'm gonna read this one real quick, and then we can get back to the usual nonsense. <laughs> Do we have time to touch on uh, the missile platforms? Uh, which one's that? The DAPL. Uh, it, I don't think it's on your list. Uh, go ahead if you want. Um, uh, well, give me give me a second to bring up the tab. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Um, this is about the water protesters again, and the the wonderful things that they're doing. Um, you know, to protect them. Let's see, they've now legalized a bill to make it legal to run somebody who's a water protester over. That's lovely. Isn't that nice? Oh yeah, I was reading that the other day. Yes. I'm like, oh, that is just fantastic. Um, but they're not the only state doing it either. Oh, I know. It well. It's a whole series. A lot of, of that. A lot of that comes from um, the new tactic I see protesters taking of blocking highways. Yeah. And yet I've seen now in Mexico City the new form protest because they've pretty much made every other form of protest illegal is to just silently stand there. Yeah. No no marching, no signs, just silently stand there. Yeah, they do that over and here as well. There's nothing else you can do. Because uh, the, the only one that really gets you arrested in the UK is if you start... The, the reason to get arrested during protest in the UK, you get violent. <laughs> well, Blocking public then... highways is against the law over here and always has been. So yeah, the police will remove you. They'll try to ask you to leave first, because we're polite, but they will drag you off. Um, and the other one is, of course, you find out you're not actually on public property, you're on private property, and the owner can ask to have you removed. And that includes shopping centres and many areas people think are public, but they're not actually fully public. They're owned by some person somewhere who can go, Ew. Uh -huh. Horrible protesters, please remove. Hence why the Occupy London protest, that's why they were all camped on the church grounds, not on outside the offices. Right. Because outside the offices, the police could get told to remove them, whereas the church had given permission for them to be where they were. <laughs> Complex right, over it's here. At the, it's at the very end of the list. It's at the very end of the list. Okay. Uh, I'm going to scroll down then. Um, can you change the number on the one I just put up then? And I'll number this one. Okay. Am, gotcha. I, get, I'm, am I guessing that this is... Yeah. This is, free, thought, free Thought Project. Yeah. And this is actually... This is not surprising. And it just got real. Cops at DAPL now have missile launchers. Not kidding. Standing Rock, North Dakota. Over the last several months, the world has watched the American police state in action as cops from more than a dozen states beat, gas, pepper sprayed, tasered shot, and severely injured water protectors and protesters in North Dakota. Using their militarized gear, police have blinded at least one person and blown up the arm of another. With all the heavily armed police and military in the area, one would think that having a missile launcher would be entirely unnecessary. However, one would be wrong. John Ziegler has been live streaming from DAPL since last year. On Monday, he found something quite disturbing. The Avenger AN TWQ-1 air defense system. Knowing their history of brutality over the last several months, the idea that the police and National Guard have an actual missile launcher at their disposal is nothing short of bone chilling. 
According to the Army Recognition website, the Avenger ANTWQ-1 air defense system vehicle is a missile-mounted system which provides mobile short-range air defense protection for ground units against cruise missiles, unmanned aerial vehicles, low-flying, fixed-wing aircraft, and helicopters. The ANTWQ-1 missile system has been around since the 1980s. However, it's been recently equipped with a high-energy laser weapon used to neutralize small unmanned air vehicles. Also, neutralized unexploded ordnance at standoff distance. Um, you know, I, I just think the militarization of police is a problem. That's, that's what I think, just in general, all the way around. But the private security that the pipeline company had was just fucking brutal. They they were fucking brutal. Yeah, it, the blasting water at protesters, you know, and freezing sub-zero temperatures is, uh, that's inhumane, number one, <clears throat> and it's potentially life-threatening. That's horrific. Well, I mean, I would assume that went against the Geneva Convention, although they're just cops, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the, doesn't seem to apply to the one bonus to this, right? It's one of the old military systems they've got, even if it has the latest upgrades. Some some of the veterans that went to the protest <laughs> brought with them. Some of them are like ex drone specialists, ex communication specialists, and they brought mm -hmm. gear with them. So. There is a possibility that there will be protesters there that can neutralise any of the targeting systems on that particular uh, vehicle, because there's quite yeah. possibly guys there that used to well operate them for the military. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Because I, really I, I know a lot of the veterans have stuck around, funnily yeah. enough, because they didn't believe the whole, yeah, it's all finished. Yeah, we're not going to build it now. Yeah. Right. Because I know, yes, some trenches and stuff have, and embankments have been getting built and the like. So, yeah. It's... Well, it's... The, the thing that gets me is that, you know, I is with my, I mean, I'm pretty intelligent, but I don't have the special training that, you know, ex-military specialists have. And even I can build low yield, uh, what do they call them, uh, magneto bombs. Um, the EMPs. I can build a small low yield EMP in my house with a microwave oven and you know some few uh, Radio Shack parts. Uh, th these things are not difficult to do. I can make a burning laser, you know, that has a range of you know a couple hundred feet that can give you a severe sunburn. Vortex cannons are the fun ones. It'd be good on that missile yes. system, actually. <laughs> you guys are going to get me in trouble. Like, I'm already Vortex not cannons are just great fun. Go look at YouTube. Knock, you knock buildings down with them. It's great. Oh, those are wonderful. You know, I'm already on enough government lists. <laughs> you guys are practically reciting the anarchist cookbook on the fucking air. Oh, nothing nah, that that's amateur. Been, that's been debunked. Yeah. No! The, look, the, I learned how are... to design nuclear weapons when I studied nuclear physics in secondary school oh, in, the, in the 80s. I mean, Jesus, it's not difficult. No, it's not. Jan, did you ever hear the story about the Boy Scout back in the mid nineties? Yes. My yes. God, that was a good story. He built a yeah, he built a nuclear pile in a shed. shed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He died recently too. Yeah. Yeah. Was, a, yeah. Was, what was it? A neutron enrichment uh chamber? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he was yes. getting all the radium off old watches and stuff like that and putting it mm -hmm. in a nuclear pile to yeah. uh, purify I mean, it. <laughs> and the thing that kills me is is all the steampunkers walking around with all the stuff made with all the old radium watch pieces, and I'm going, you know what that is, right? <laughs> you, know like, yeah. you, you ain't going to be having children if you keep wearing that. Yeah, yeah that's exactly <laughs> it. Well, their their children will look like the hills have eyes, people anyway. Oh, Jesus Christ! Ruby, give me baby. I think I mentioned it last year sometime. There's a beach in Scotland where people just aren't allowed because right. after World War Two, there used to be a factory mm -hmm. that decommissioned aircraft <laughs> on the God. site, and and oh, when God. the war ended, in, instead of doing clean up then, because you know it's the forties, they didn't give a shit. Right. They just buried everything mm -hmm. so there's this beach in scotland that's basically got shitloads of radium <laughs> it's like and they don't let anybody near it it's like okay huge fence <laughs> nobody's yeah. allowed to go there and they go every year and test radioactivity and yeah and, and they cringe yeah I'm and keep sure. talking about well we should really clean that up okay maybe next year yeah <laughs> And maybe next year, and maybe next year. It's okay in, was it 425 million years? It'll, it'll be gone anyway. You know. <laughs> well, nobody seems to be worrying about Japan. Oh, there, I've been watching these, uh, these Urbex videos, the Urban Explorers on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy, I think it was uh, Exploring with Steve. He's a Japanese kid. And he is going over, in one of his videos, he's going over to Fukushima to examine things and I'm like um Hope he's taking you, don't kids, you? Yeah. you don't yeah. want to have kids or a life well the joke, jokes comedians keep making over here is Tokyo Olympics they should change their mascot to Godzilla uh, <laughs> yeah that, that's going to be the opening yeah. ceremony the only athletes will turn up and then suddenly this giant creature will appear <laughs> out of the, the bay <laughs> You know, well, I, I don't I would like it if Mothra showed up. That would be fucking hilarious. Well think about it this way. On a plus side, nobody over there has to reheat their rama. It stays ever warm. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to be eating I don't think I'd want to be eating anything from that area, period. And what scared me was last year they just allowed rice imports from Japan again and it's testing off the charts here in America and like yeah, okay, if it, come, so if it comes from southern Japan, yeah, just don't eat it. <sighs> I'm like, oh, look, here's something else. I, I got to take a Geiger counter to the store before I can buy it. So I don't eat oh, rice I, anymore. Don't, don't take a Geiger counter to the store. You will Thanks. not be very happy afterwards. <laughs> no, because everything's irradiated. Uh -huh. Well, if it's, if it's not all irradiated, we used to have in the stores, we used to have the system we used to run every night. And it was a pest management system, right? And it was like a fogger. <laughs> so we would close the store and somebody would have to stand back by the baler way in the back and everybody else would be outside and they'd have to pull the system down and then run like hell out the door before they got sprayed. I think about that and I'm like, I wonder how many people got fucking lung cancer and shit from being directly sprayed with pesticides for years and years. No, anything involving a fogger that isn't my vapor device uh, or a, a stage smoke machine or something like that, I, I will be wanting a breathing mask. Yeah. Yeah. 
because I've handled the, those things. You don't get that there. No. No. I, but you know. But any right any forward. misted chemicals tend to not be a good idea to breathe. I'm really happy that we don't do that anymore. But we do a radiate. Well, we don't. But you know where you buy your food, where we buy it from. Well, and we've so we've, we've covered it before, but I'm probably more radioactive than you are anyway because I live yeah. in Scotland. So. Well, yeah. my whole country is radioactive. So yeah. Well, I, but I used to see what you don't understand is where I grew up. I lived on a basically a hillside of quartz crystal. Yeah, you were radioactive? Not too bad. No, this was all the tourmalated with the black stuff in it. No, I was pretty well irradiated too. But, 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 but yeah, you know, no, Scot Scotland, heathen stone, you know, all the different types of granite, they're all radioactive. Mm -hmm. Shit, they have to do, t they do annual testing of people's houses to look for the buildup of radon. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, that's actually a good thing. People really should check for that. Well, they have um, to I, in Scotland, because if you don't, people are going to get really radioactive. Because <laughs> <laughs> they'll be walking about in, inside their house, walking about in a cloud of radioactive gas all day. Um, so, yeah, so what I, happens I, when they find it? Does the government move them? or? Do they well, yeah, they get pulled out of their house. SOS. The house gets um, ventilated, and the person's allowed back in. Ah, but, okay. yeah. But yeah, I mean, some some people living around the Aberdeen area uh, have more radioactive exposure than people working to decommission the Dunray power plant, <laughs> <laughs> which is insane. You know, so their normal I, exposure is more than somebody working in a decommissioned nuclear power plant. It's like okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, though. I I figure, honestly. Yeah, radioactivity is dangerous, but there are certain sites on the planet, not just where you live, but there are certain sites in Africa that are off the fucking chart. Oh, yeah. Just walking in the soil. Big chunks will, of Australia know. as well, where yeah, lots exactly. of the plutonium and uranium has been dug up. Yeah. Yep. Well, in and, in and of itself, um, radiation is kind of a... It's kind of a misnomer because yeah. radiation, just radiation, doesn't contaminate. Gamma radiation doesn't contaminate. Yep. It's the alpha and beta particles that stick around. That, and that's the reason why, you know, uh, Nuclear Boy, the reason why he got so poisoned was because he didn't take precautions for uh, alpha and beta particle contamination. Yeah. He probably didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. So irradiated food in... Um, in uh, grocery stores, if you walk in with a Geiger counter um, or just a survey meter, the survey meter is not really going to ping off the charts um, because they don't irradiate to the level of alpha and beta contamination. It's very slight radiation exposure just to kill organic living bacteria. Yeah. Right. So... I mean, for the most part, we're actually really okay. There's, there's, it, I'd be more yeah, worried about pesticides have, than that. People have been eating slightly radioactive food for a very long time, especially yeah, since I, the advent of the microwave. Uh, right, but I'm yes. just saying, I don't, I don't really want to eat the Fukushima rice. That's all I'm yeah. saying. No. That's, that's all I'm saying. No, that is no, a no, different yeah, level. Right. It actually has yeah. heavy metal that particles a, in it. That is so, a whole yeah. different <laughs> level. Yeah, so I was thinking, no, thank you. <laughs> well, the other thing that you got to worry about now, apparently, is fake rice that's coming from China. The yeah. melamine shit? Yeah. No, the stuff that's, like, made out of plastic, that it's not even real rice. Yeah, I guess melamine, yeah. Melamine. It's melamine. Because, you know, it's weird. 
melamine spikes protein tests. I mean, it just, it, it scores way up there. It's, there's a lot of protein in it. It's not fucking protein. It's plastic. We need to do something with our testing protocols. Now we have, we have eight minutes, you guys. I don't think I'm going to be able to tell people that governments are struggling to retain the citizens trust globally. I think well, we've kind of spotted story. it already ourselves. Yeah, I, I do too. But I, I think, um, I think this, this particular, um, guardian story, which I'll just shove in the chat because I was interested. Um, it doesn't even scratch the surface no. as to what the real problems are, but that's besides the point. Um, yeah, so we've got like seven minutes left. <laughs> You're going away for a couple of weeks, aren't you, to work? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I still, at this point, I'm not sure exactly what time that the shift at the plant's going to end, but, uh, you know, I'll try and I'll try and get on just as soon as I can. I may be late, but I'll try not to outright just completely miss the show. Okay. Well, I'm okay. I'm glad you got work. So that's good. That feels great. Yeah, I like that. Ornell must be thrilled too. Yeah, so far my luck has been that every time we're we're really close to defaulting on creditors that mm -hmm. I end up getting lucky and getting a job and we're able to just barely tread water once again but you know with the moratoriums about to be lifted well we're anticipating lifting a moratoriums that obama signed um the industry should be especially with the uh the inauguration speech that he made that you know thousands of rust belt plants and industries that have been sitting dormant and in mothballs that they're about to be cranking out full swing again so you know it would be nice i don't i don't know if we're going back to that era do you know what i mean where yeah no i don't think so either i don't think we're actually going back to that era i i think actually this administration is going to be a lot more friendly to small business though and that's going to help a lot of kids getting out of high school and say you if you wanted to open a, a, a small business selling like beard oil or whatever you know what i mean i think it's going to be helpful to those people too and i know that was ridiculous but you understand what i'm saying <laughs> no, I, I get your concept yeah you know, so I think that's going to be helpful for that. I'm not so sure what the effects are going to be on big businesses, but uh, <laughs> it, I think it'll feel good for people to get back to work and, and feeding their families if that's what happens. Yeah. The only thing I, I really want people to really consider is to, when their children are about to graduate high school, please keep in mind and consider trying to encourage your children into trade school instead of yeah. university, because there is nothing wrong with blue collar work. Blue collar work provides work for white collar. Well, the, I mean, the best, you know, one of the best trades you can possibly learn plumber. Yeah. Always Everybody always, always needs plumbers yep. and they can charge what they like. If there's not a lot of them in the area. Well, I mean so. that I, heating and air conditioning, there's always going to be a need for that. I don't know about auto repair, but I think there's always going to be a need for that. For well, auto girls, repair is more complex might... because of the new new cars of all these computer right. systems. Whereas well, plumbing, plumbing yet they have not managed to put too much electronic garbage into plumbing yet. Yeah. So. Well, what I was going to say is for girls, mostly what they teach is like nursing. Um, this has been my experience with trade school: dental assisting, nursing hairdressing nails um they don't really you know 
computer sciences, um, they don't really teach girls a lot of the hands-on stuff like plumbing and electrician. And I think it wouldn't hurt girls who are all about, oh yeah, equality, equality. Would not hurt you to get an education in that. Because you know what? Your, your job might suck, but you will always be needed. That's why I work in a fucking grocery store. It ain't because I love it. It's because people always got to eat. You know? Yeah. That need has not gone away. No. And uh, non-destructive testing is actually a really good field to go into because, I mean, I I'm keeping myself into the realm of petrochemical just because right now it's a little bit difficult for me because of my background to go into aerospace and higher security clearance stuff. Right. But, I mean... The NDT industry is forever evolving and constantly coming out with new methods and more efficient ways to look at things and to, you know, make sure that things are running right. And it's a great field for females. Yeah, three minutes. Um, engineering, if you are going to go to college, engineering is a really good thing to study. Pay attention, um, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't be a dumbass. Um, yeah. Um, and I think those are what I would recommend. I wouldn't recommend that girls get into the hairdressing nail stuff because that wrecks your lungs and a lot of people have to go into other work as a consequence. Yeah. That I wouldn't recommend. So, okay, so we, we now have three minutes. So normally we would play the Muppets and the ad, but I think we're just going to say good night and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Night, guys. Night.